Okay, everybody, welcome to the now episode number 23 of the Shelf Shedding Movie Show. And this episode is going to be about crime movies. And we're joined with my longtime friend, my teaching buddy from Aiden Bowman for worked together for nine years, Carl Smith. And uh, he's kindly agreed to talk about these these movies with me here. How are you doing, Carl? Oh, I'm doing fantastic. Are you a movie fan? Yes, I, I'm i an avid movie fan. Yeah. I watch a lot you of things and I watch all kinds of genres, whatever. I love them. I remember going over to your place uh, back when we were allowed to be in the same room together before that was against the law. And yeah. you you just have almost every movie. I mean, I, I, I have a pretty good collection myself, but it was uh, you had a pretty impressive one. And I think you were trying to collect all of the best picture winners. Yes, I've almost completed that. I think I have maybe six more to go. Six I'm more. having trouble getting some of the early ones in English versus Chinese. Because mm-hmm. every yeah. time I ordered them from overseas, they gave me a Chinese version that's supposed to be in English, but it never comes in English. It doesn't have any English oh. subtitles or like an English uh, dub or anything. You know? No, no English subtitles. Like go to click on everything. Thing that there is in the in the house and there's still no English. I don't mm-hmm. know. Yeah, that's frustrating. I've had a couple of those where uh, I always watch for the regions too because sometimes something will be available. I'm like, oh, I, I can't find that movie anywhere, but it's for the, like the UK or something where I am I'm not able to play it with my machines. So that's what that means like, when they say it's not in the very region. Because there's different regions throughout the world, and you have to have a region specific Blu-ray or DVD player for for that. There's some that are region free, but I can only play it on my computer computer not always that oh that okay yeah so you settled on crime movies uh what is it about crime movies that you like um a lot of it is the, the storylines behind it and i guess i'm always an underdog person so i always wanted to for the i remember there's a movie i think it was goodfellas where he says jimmy was the kind of guy who cheered for the bad guy all the time well that would be me always cheering for the underdog there's uh some quote unquote bad bad guys uh there's also some female villains uh, and f- female gangsters that we encounter not many but a, a couple in these movies too so lots to cheer for I'll be interested to get your take on on each of these movies because I I sort of am coming in thinking I have an idea but I might have a completely different idea about your thoughts on on these so and I think beforehand uh, not to get into it yet but I uh, there, there was one that I was thinking might most naturally be at the bottom of your pile but maybe that's not the bottom of your pile so we'll, we'll kind of see as we go some of these movies i've watched a ton. Uh, some mm-hmm. of the others i've only watched a couple times some of these movies will be very familiar to uh listeners others uh, again i do like to highlight movies that are either forgotten about or maybe were never that well known so i hopefully it's a it was enough of a variety in the six yeah i found there was a good idea i thought yeah. that you know like um not just focusing on say the casino Nostra is also focusing on, like, say, the triads, you know, things yeah. like that. It was, you know, the Russian mafia. I like kind of like that, too, you know, going into those different splinters. Yeah. I thought that was cool. I, and I, just because when they named the show Crime Movies, it was a broad range. I didn't sort of, some of my later shows are a little bit more specific or specific to a certain decade. We're here mostly looking at movies. We have movie, some movies from the 90s and uh, some movies kind of from the first uh, first decade of the 20th century. And then I think we, again, from uh, we might have uh, one or two from uh, the previous decade as well. So so I'm, I'm, I'm happy that uh, you found 
found enough variety uh, among the six here. I should, before I, I mention the six movies we're going to review, I just want to mention for uh, first-time listeners that there will likely be spoilers for these six movies, so we may get into spoiler territory. I'm a little bit more leery of doing that with, with movies which haven't been seen by as many people, but we'll we'll see how we do with that. Also, there might be some uh, coarse language in this episode, so uh, we'll we'll see how that goes. I think when you look at one of the movies has the, drops the most F-bomb, I think there's about to kill a language warning. Yeah, well, I, I think each of these movies has something that's really strong about it. These aren't, you know, it's not like the, um, which were violent and vicious for their time, but these aren't like the, the black and white uh, film noirs of uh, the 40s and the 50s or, or even like the 30s. These, these are... These are contemporary, even though there's a range of times that they were released. The first one we're going to be reviewing is a 1991 film uh, done by a, a director I really like named Barry Levinson called Bugsy. Then we're going to uh, take a look at, once again, it's been mentioned several times in my show, uh, Martin Scorsese and Martin Scorsese's uh, 1995 film Casino. We're going to move a little bit back, back a few more years to the movie that made Quentin Tarantino, Reservoir Dogs from 1992. Then we're going to move check out again as as mentioned we were looking at some different countries here and i wanted to include the movie the killer and this is the only movie i believe we have from uh, the 1980s it was came out just at the tail end 1989 and it does look at the triad then we're going to uh, take a look at an australian crime film called animal kingdom and animal kingdom was a released in 2010 and since has uh, turned to american tv show which i have haven't watched yet, but I think you have. And we're going to end off with yeah. a Canadian director, Dave Cronenberg, but a story that's set in uh, the UK, Eastern Promises, as you mentioned, the, the Russian mafia is represented in uh, in this crime show as well. Thanks for being here, Carl. Is there anything else you'd like to say about these movies before we start? No, I'd just like to preface a little bit and say that I'm not a big fan of critics, because usually what happens is I read about the critics and what movies they've slammed, and those are the ones I really want to see, because they're usually quite entertaining, and the ones that get the extremely high praise, I'm not too impressed usually. Yeah. That's just the way it goes. In other words, yeah. I'm not a snob movie critic. <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping I'm becoming less of a snob movie critic. I've had my, my moments. Uh, I, I think more people agree with you uh, than not on that front. And last few years, I've a lot of the movie reviewers I was really, uh, I would consider, I'd be admirers of or, or consider heroes have died. So I haven't really, the last few years, paid as much attention to reviews. I'll watch a movie and then I'll look at the reviews afterwards and compare it to my experience. And yeah, sometimes I've been fairly surprised at how I'm in a quite a different place with uh, the critics of right now, whereas some of the ones like, uh, not all, I didn't always agree with them, but Roger Ebert, for example, and Gene Siskel were two that I, I, I admired and, and kind of liked their opinions. But I started off disagreeing with them quite a bit. And that's why I started watching their show to see how much they would anger me. And then I found I started to agree with them more and more the more movies I watched. So Yeah, they're yeah. the two that I actually used to watch on a regular basis, actually. Whenever yeah. I wanted to preview movies that I hadn't seen yet, I always wanted to see what they thought about them first. For those who are younger... See it and see what I thought. For those who are younger, the idea of two thumbs up, which I'm sure you've heard about, that was coined by Siskel and Ebert, which had a TV show, and both men died fairly young, Gene Siskel in the late 90s, and then Roger Ebert, towards the end of the first uh, decade of uh, this century. So kind of miss that that kind of criticism, especially Ebert, who would sort of see what the intention of the movie was, and if they were successful in that intention, then he would give it a recommendation, even if it wasn't an outwardly wonderful film. Like, he recommended some movies which were considered real dogs over the 
years, but he he kind of tried to figure out what the point was and were they successful in that. And I think that's that's kind of the way to go here. So just starting off, just full confession, I like all of these movies, and that makes it really difficult. The fact that I'm going to lose one of them at the end of this episode. Hollywood has always been fascinated by gangsters. In 1943, a gangster became fascinated with Hollywood. I just had this suit pressed. Take your paws off it. So one guy came in here and robbed five guys of $56,000 in their own place of business and got away scot-free. The rest of the time, you're just another good-looking, sweet-talking, charm-oozing fellow with nothing to offer but some dialogue. Why don't you run outside and jerk yourself a soda? Who are you referring to? Premium fruitcake? If I were you, I would get that money back by 7 o'clock tonight. Famous isn't good, Ben. For Clark Gable, it's good. For Joe DiMaggio, it's good. Famous for you, it's not good. Ben! He's my brother! And you think you could steal from me, from Maya Lansky and Charlie Luciano, and get away with it? You are going to kill Mussolini personally in the middle of a war? Ben, I don't understand this desert thing of yours. What are we, Bedouins? What are you talking about here? A whole house. I'm talking about a hotel. I'm talking about a place where gambling is allowed. To our destiny, Las Vegas. A hotel in the middle of the Mojave Desert, 500 miles away from the nearest toilet bowl. Truth is, he's not even interested in money for himself off this deal. He's interested in the idea. What idea? Building something, making something. Ben, he's a dreamer. Blow my head off! Do it! Do it! <laughs> Have you concocted in your sick mind? I believe he was blinded by love. Benny's always put women first. That's what makes him Benny. Only this time it's one woman that's got him instead of the whole damn female race. I'm sure you're right about the things that you want to get. Do about you always talk this much before you do it? I only talk this much before I'm gonna kill someone. In 1991, that was the year I I think I officially became a movie fanatic. Uh, I've talked already on the show about how a movie called JFK changed that for me and, and made movies more than just an entertainment. But the same year, 1991, a movie that was very acclaimed and went into the award season pretty hot with the most Oscar nominations was a film called Bugsy. Uh, it's a movie about a New York gangster named Ben Bugsy Seagull. Don't call him Bugsy, though, as many of the characters in the film find out. And he takes a, a quick trip to uh, Los Angeles and he uh, decides to stay in Hollywood and become very Hollywood. Uh, he's very sharp dressed. He's a womanizer, but he's got a very foul temper, to say the least. And that's where he gets the gets the nickname Bugsy. He doesn't hesitate to kill or maim anyone who crosses him. Also uh, connected to the business that he runs. He's not afraid to hurt people. In L.A., he meets a strong-willed woman uh, actor named Virginia Hill, played by Annette Bening. So uh, those who know of Annette Bening and Warren Beatty, this was the film set where they met and fell in love and actually got married. Before that, Warren Beatty was a lifelong bachelor who they thought would never settle down. And uh, Virginia Hill, she seems to really not get along with him, but they do have this tumultuous uh, affair that happens. But part of 
the hesitancy is that Ben Siegel needs to break things off with his wife back home, which we discover he is hesitant to do. They go on a little trip to a rundown gambling joint in the middle of the desert. It's at that point that Ben Siegel has a vision of what would be Las Vegas. And the trouble is he's not able to completely convey this vision to the people, the mob people that are putting money in this as uh, his vision gets more and more and more expensive. And that leads to some tension in the third act. Uh, what do you think of Bugsy? I thought um, the storyline was uh, pretty good. However, I thought I thought he chose the wrong time frame of his life to do it. To tell you the truth. I'd like to have seen his uh, earlier life in that show or somewhat of it, the background or something to show him like, like he was a hitman, you know, Murder, Inc. and all of that, right? He was the guy who came up with that whole Murder, Inc., like hitman for hire and you don't see any of that in the show which i think is i don't know they could have found some way to put it in there maybe you know as a backstory or something something that'll give some background info about this guy what i thought however uh you know i guess the making of las vegas is actually a very good era also and that was one of the things that i thought that they captured the era very nicely it's interesting we have two movies about car Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Two movies. Yeah. We'll talk about that later. We have two movies about the startings of Vegas and whatnot. That with the casino also. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I thought like the spin- cinematography was fantastic. I thought a lot of the, uh, settings I really liked. And I thought the, um, Warren Beatty, at first, I really didn't like him very much at all because like he's the kind of guy, like, you know, wife's hair done, you know, you want to sleep with your wife. That's fine. You know, but he's not really a gangster. Like, seriously. Even Bonnie and Clyde, I thought, ugh not a good choice either but this was the one thing i didn't like about it at the very beginning but later after i uh, did a bit of research because at first i thought they were talking about bugsy moran mm-hmm. the St. valentine's day maker i found out no it's not they are actually talking about uh bugsy siegel yeah. and after that um i was okay with it then and i thought it was actually a fairly good choice for warren Beatty to play that that was the whole thing that was I, I, that was one of the things i really liked about it with casting with Warren Beatty, he, he's a movie star and he's always been known as kind of a good-looking movie star at this point. I mean, he's, he's older now, but he had, like, a lot of, as characterized in this movie, Ben Siegel was probably better suited to being a Hollywood mogul or something. He... He, he really wanted to be an actor. We see that throughout the film. And I think it's just a thing where he he was maybe getting bored of being a gangster and he was looking for a different a different life and a different idea. But, you know, he, he wasn't a good enough actor. We see that in these, he does these screen tests, which are absolutely awful. <laughs> and, and he's just trying to find his place in that world and kind of moving away from the New York uh, mob scene. I just think the, you know, how how vain he is comes across and, and Beatty does a good job of that. And Beatty, I think, was a was quite a good choice. Uh, Warren Beatty also produced the movie, so he had developed this all along. I also like Warren Beatty and Bonnie and Clyde because that characterization was of a guy who's trying really hard to to be a aggressive, masculine type of a gangster, but who really wasn't. And uh, so, so Beatty... I, I don't buy him necessarily as, as a tough guy, right? But uh, he does a good job, though, in this film of being scary in some points. Like, you can see he talks, 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 and then he shoots somebody in an early scene in the movie. But there's a scene where somebody has stolen from from him and and also uh, uh, the Harvey Keitel character. Mickey Cohen. And, Mickey Cohen, yeah, sorry. Mickey Cohen, the famous gangster in, uh, in L.A. And when this is discovered in... The, 
this guy comes over in the middle of a fight between Virginia Hill and Ben Siegel, which had to do with his jealousy over running into men who had slept with her before. He's already heated. He takes the guy into the back office and he absolutely humiliates this guy and has him down on the ground, oinking like a pig and uh, just um, psychologically terrorizing him and threatening death. And that was like the highlight for me of the power of Beatty's performance. And then we see the mixed up dynamic in the romance. Like there's a romance here, but it's it, it's it's a dysfunctional one. The fact that, you know, Virginia Hill played by Annette Benning, who I think was underrated. She she didn't get an Oscar nomination for this movie, but I think she does quite a good job. And when she listens to this whole interaction, she realizes she is with a psychopathic man but in some ways she is more drawn to him after that onto that yeah and so we see it's like i I, and i've watched this movie with people are saying like run go now but no she she moves towards him when after he's done that and he's shown the power that he can wield over over some people so the scene that you speak of uh i thought that was more a funny scene actually well it was it it reminded me more of like a deliverance kind (laughs) of like a pig okay when's he going to hop yeah. on top of him yeah <laughs> that's what i thought as well as that i thought one of the weakest scenes i've ever seen in a movie was the birthday party scene where he's wearing that chef hat oh my gosh i nearly threw up at that one that was like ridiculous scene where he's talking well, with the gangsters and he's going in between and he's got that big chef's hat on and it's his daughter's birthday party for melissa and for millicent, millicent like oh my gosh i thought that also, was more of a joke constantly called Calling Mickey, who he's got spying on Virginia to make sure Virginia isn't like seeing any other guys while he's out of town. I, I I like that sequence, but it's an outlandish costume, you know, and it shows the you know the exaggerated and eccentric nature of Bugsy Siegel. But yeah, I understand you could end up maybe laughing a little bit too much at that scene because of the costuming, because uh, he's trying yeah. to you know decorate the cake, but then he ends up forgetting completely about the cake and his daughter. And you know, in many ways, this is part of his. The, the loss of his family. Uh, he keeps promising he's going to break up, he's going to break up, but who ends up breaking up the marriage? Yeah, she does eventually. Yeah, she figures it all See, out. Even with that, I think, I don't think he's, he's, tired of being a gangster i think he's i don't think the gangster is bringing him what he needs anymore which is uh i don't know self-gratification or he has to love himself and yeah. i think that's what the gangster life is not giving him anymore which mm-hmm. is why i think he's trying to go straight looks like it because yeah. looks are well, deceiving i think he's still trying to work he's wanting to be creative i think he's a creative guy and he's thinking okay will i be a, a movie actor will i be a movie producer well that's not really his world that he knows about as much as joe Montaigne is in there who uh, actor friend and tries to help him out with some things, but th- that doesn't work out that well. And then I, I think then, then when he sees the Las Vegas vision, that becomes like his movie project, his his legacy, the thing that you know will be left there for him. And really, it it it, it leads to the tragedy of the piece. I wanted to mention uh, yeah, died last July, and, and someday soon we're gonna, I'm going to be having a tribute show to Ennio Morricone, who did the music score for the film as well. Very, it's a, it's somewhat big, but it's also kind of jazzy at points, but also has that really like brilliant tragic underscore to some of the scenes. Uh, I thought that was quite good. Uh, it won Oscars. You mentioned the like the art direction, set decoration. It won an Oscar for that, and uh, I believe the other Oscar was uh, was in the costuming category for that movie it had 10 nominations but it was the year of the silence of the lambs so while it had the most nominations uh and which is 
sometimes an indicator that you're going to win Best Picture, and it had won some precursor awards, including the Golden Globe Award. It ended up uh, losing Best Picture and lost in a lot of the major categories. And I guess if we're looking at the Legacy Award, Silence of the Lambs has a, a more pronounced legacy than Bugsy does. Yeah, I thought that Hollywood couldn't help it themselves make it into a love story. That's the way I looked at it. But it was more a love story, not just with uh, between Ed Benning, who I thought was fantastic. Yeah. And otherwise. I thought she was thought she was the whole dealer of the show to tell you the truth. And it was more a love story with yourself <laughs> or a love story Benny Siegel has with himself, I think. That's what it was more like. Because that's why he doesn't want to divorce the boy. Yeah, it would look like he would, uh, he's almost like a Donald Trump of gangsters. Don't want to lose anything. Yeah. For example, you know, he, he he wouldn't he wouldn't allow himself to break up his marriage because that would you know he would he would look like a loser then. Mm -hmm. Whereas uh, he has to look like a winner and he has to love himself doing it. And I don't think he could love himself if he said, "Oh, my marriage fell apart." Whereas if she leaves him, that's totally acceptable. You know, because that we you know vilify himself by maybe saying, you know, "Well, it was her fault." You know, she hard to get along with anyway. That's why she, you know. But I thought uh, Ned Benning was uh, one of the biggest highlights in that movie for sure because um, a few roles before this, but this one. Made her like very prominent. She'd actually been up for an Oscar the year before for an underrated movie called The Grifters, and she'd been in a few other movies like uh, Regarding Henry with Harrison Ford. I remember seeing her. She she's uh, I think Dan Aykroyd's wife in uh, The Great Outdoors as well. But again, this this partnership with Warren Beatty in this movie started to get her even more roles and more uh, critical attention. And now she's considered one of the, the best actors working. What I saw there was uh, she maybe looked at some of those 1930s, 40s girls in the old yeah. gangster movies and maybe emulated those because she pulled it off just perfectly. Plus and her I, character. And I'm pretty sure you thought Bugsy were going to get slammed by me. But no, no, Bugsy's not getting slammed today because I thought, uh, you know, like I said, the only thing. I didn't agree with that whole, like I said at the beginning, I didn't really crazy about having Beatty in it. But as it went on, I thought Beatty was actually a very good choice. Yeah. Like I said, there was a couple of weak scenes in it, but I thought there was a lot more strong scenes in the movie. You know, like, uh, I thought, the, yeah, but I thought, I thought there was a lot more strong scenes than there was weak scenes in the whole movie. The story was totally acceptable. And I don't know, I kind of like the, um, I could see, like, when you watch a movie, one of the things that really draws me to a movie is can I identify with one of the characters? Like, all, when my buddies and I, when we were young, we used to go to movies and oh I'm this guy we'd pick a person as me and what would happen in the movie would be you as you went along and I thought that was kind of cool and like I wanted to be uh, I wanted to be Bugsy when I saw the movie yep oh yeah I identified with him immediately maybe it was the um, I don't know the egoism behind it <laughs> maybe that's what I identified with him I'm not sure that probably had a lot to do with it but uh, yeah I thought it was um, was very good story and like I said I thought the uh, cinematography was fantastic behind it the costuming everything was, was very good about that I thought they captured that era very nicely and like I said, there was a couple scenes there that I had a little trouble with, but the birthday scene and that first scene where he did that. And I think if you were to ask what my favorite scene was, and if I said, oh, the end, you would think that I really hated the movie. But no, no, I thought that um, the ending. Uh, okay, should we give it away? Like the shooting of the eyeball out? That was Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's a it's a violent end and very tragic. It's, it's all also the it's also the truth behind the whole story behind it. No, it is historical, and these exactly. are people. And and so, yeah, I mean, if you haven't seen Bugsy, I do encourage people to see it and experience it. But you know, with these these gangster movies, they don't often end up with uh, hugs and weddings and high fives. I mean, it's uh, <laughs> it's it, it's a tragic story, even though there's some dark humor in there. I think beautifully balanced by uh, director Barry Levinson, who I said I'm a big fan of. He's 
he has a, a, a varied resume of films. He's done a, a found footage horror movie. He's the director of Rain Man. He did Wag the Dog. He's also, um, you know, Good Morning Vietnam, films like that. Uh, he's had some duds along the way as well, but he's a guy who actually takes a lot of risks and likes to move around and, and play around with different genre. And I, I thought he did quite a good job as the director of the film as well as the cast. Uh, I wanted to get your take on a couple nominated performances from that movie. So I uh, mentioned Harvey mm -hmm. Keitel as uh, Mickey Cohen. What did you think? Keitel always amazes me at his, um, I don't know, he's almost, um, he's one of my favorite actors, to tell you the truth. Mm -hmm. um, but he's, I don't know, pitch and hold now. You kind of expect that kind of character from him now. Yeah. You know, whether it's... Uh, Oh, I don't know, Bad Lieutenant or Reservoir Dogs, which we're going to talk about later. You know, I think he's he's getting pigeonholed into that uh, that kind of role now. You kind of expect that now, mm -hmm. is what I thought. In the 90s. And uh, this was before Reservoir Dogs. Yeah, and I thought this was very, very good. I thought Kaito was very good in, in that uh, whole story. It was a year before Reservoir Dogs. Very believable. Oddly enough, like, this is really still surprising to me, like, the career that Harvey Keitel has had, this is the only film that he was ever nominated for an Academy Award for. Wow. I think it was and a good nomination for him, actually. Good look. He has a very strong first scene. And then he he really is Ben Siegel's friend uh, throughout the film. Like He's the guy he can, he can trust him. And that's just because of that first encounter. He was so so direct and so honest with him. And then he, and then Siegel saw, like, this is the guy that I need to be on my side right from the beginning, from that encounter, that strange scene where, where, where Bugs he is getting uh, uh, facial, and uh, I don't, I don't know. He's at a spa or something, and then Mickey Cohen comes in and just uh, screams at him because you know uh, Siegel has something wrong, which kind of leads into uh, the the revenge that happens when uh, one of his LA associates, who thinks that he's smarter, smarter than 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 uh, than uh, Siegel, uh, kind of pays for it. So the other one I, I just uh, wanted to mention again. This is connected to a very very famous. Uh, gangster, Jewish gangster named Meyer Lansky. Ben Kingsley, the chameleon Ben Kingsley, plays Meyer Lansky. He was also nominated for Best Supporting Actor for this movie. What did you think about Ben Kingsley? I'm not a Kingsley fan. You're not? About. Yeah. No. However, he's growing on me lots. And in this, I thought he did a fantastic job, too, Meyer Lansky. He, he um, I think he captured that whole, um, uh, when everything else is going on and there's all havoc going on, he's got that cool demeanor to him. And I mm -hmm. thought that was... Uh, Kingsley pulled it off just perfectly because yeah. uh, in order to run a place like that, you have to be you have to be calm, yeah. even if you're even if you are bullying on the inside. And, and that's what I thought and, about that. I thought Kingsley pulled it off really nicely. And, and Ben Siegel's not calm, and he's he spends most of the movie trying to rein him in and protect him. He's another guy trying to protect him, but he can't protect him after a while. Yet ultimately, like all of these guys are completely wrong, and you know Ben Siegel's completely right about Las Vegas, and we see that in kind of the aftermath that you know if they'd been a little bit more patient with him you know and as we start to see uh, as we're going to transition into casino in a moment the mafia made a lot of money off of uh, casinos and uh, the idea that i don't i don't really think ben siegel to this day has been given credit for he, he really is the guy who created las vegas and uh and, and this movie tells quite a, a unique uh it's not a, it's not a goodfellas or not something like that it's it's a, a point in time i think there's an interesting 
interesting TV show to be had about Ben Siegel, which would include that backstory stuff that you're talking about. I know there's in the TV show Boardwalk Empire, the HBO show, his his character shows up and is this ridiculously crazy guy. Doesn't mm-hmm. quite seem same as as uh, Beatty's uh, characterization, but I, I think that's fairly true to like in the Capone days, what uh, Ben Siegel was like. So, so I'm I I actually am an enormous fan of Bugsy. It's uh, it's gonna have quite a few points out of this, but I, I again I wasn't quite sure how you uh, felt about it, but happy to hear that you were seeing more positive than negative. Oh yeah, I was definitely more positive than negative. Like I said, I had a little trouble getting into it at first, but I had all other kinds of things going on when I was trying to watch it too. But uh, once I did sit down and give it a good look, uh, yeah, I thought it had a lot of, like I said, had a lot more strong scenes than weak scenes for sure. And I thought the characterization were, like like I said, spot on. At first I didn't like Beatty in it, but as I got into it more and more, he grew on me as the film went on. And Annette Benning, though, right off the bat, I knew what she was doing immediately when I saw her come out and she was doing that because yeah. um even even things that um they set things up so that it made sense later for example yeah. when she does have that scene where he he goes in and does that remember she was dating another gangster prior to this so this would yes. have been you know, and you could see that it even scared her still but it even drew her in even more which i thought was oh yeah that's that's definitely you know she must have been done doing some sort of i don't know homework on that one because she reminded me of those 1930s 40 girls in the in the gangster movies that i used to watch they used to watch a lot of those old gangster movies too again just uh uh, I'd recommend those who haven't seen Bugsy, check out Bugsy. I was a hell of a handicapper, I can tell you that. I had it down so good that I ran paradise on earth. I had one of the biggest casinos in Las Vegas to run for Tangiers. You know, if I did it, I'd have to run on my way. Nobody's gonna interfere with you running the casino, I guarantee it. Vicky, you're a guy. Make a lot of money for us. So keep a good eye on it. All right. Look at this place, it's made of money. What do you think about me moving out here? I just gotta tell you, it's no joke out here. You gotta keep a low profile. Right off the bat, they don't like guys like us. Oh, yeah! Oh. You like your money a lot, yes, don't you? Yes, a lot. Don't you? I wanna settle down, I want a family. You got the wrong girl. You'll be set up for the rest of your life. You don't know me. What do you know me two, three months? They had it all. They ran the show. And it was paradise while it lasted. They found a guy's head in the desert. That's no good. We got a problem. He doesn't listen to me. Maybe he should get lost for a while. Take a vacation. Can't make it any clearer, Sam. I would just get out. I tried to do everything for you, even though I knew deep down inside you would bury me. I buried you. You buried yourself. I have to be able to trust you with my life. Can I trust you? Can I trust you? I will go to the FBI. I will go to the police. I am not protecting you anymore. You want me to get out of my own town? You only exist out here because of me. He's a loose cannon. No! Stop it! You realize what you can do? You can get us all killed? You want to get rid of me? Here I am. Go ahead, get rid of me. Oh, 
I've reviewed this next film, uh, Casino, uh, on my friend Larry Parsons' show, Rankin Review. So I always do several shout-outs to that show throughout each episode. And I told the story of how they used to have a rating system in uh, Saskatchewan, which was restricted, no one under 18 admitted. So you couldn't even go with your parents or anything like that. And I desperately wanted to see Casino because I had discovered Goodfellas and I was starting to become a, a Martin Scorsese fan. And I always loved Pesci and I was just really excited about this release. So my friend and I uh, bought tickets to Ace Ventura when nature calls. And then we snuck in and saw Casino and managed to not get caught and had a great experience. I've always been a fan of this movie. General storyline is this is very much like the next stage of Las Vegas. It shows its glitter and glamour, but also it's cruel and brutal nature when it was run by the mafia. Uh, Robert De Niro plays Ace Rothstein, who is a lifelong gambler who can't lose. And Joe Pesci, the great Joe Pesci, plays Nicky Santoro, who's a mobster who's basically there to protect Ace and who starts to see Las Vegas as a an opportunity to make a lot of money for himself on the side. They live and work in, this in, in the casinos throughout the 1970s and 80s. And Ace is very much the smooth operator of the Tangiers Casino. Nikki, being his boyhood friend, is the strong man who's robbing and shaking people down and trying to fix when he goes to gamble things so that he can win and intimidating dealers and that kind of thing. They each have a tragic flaw because this is very Shakespearean in nature in many ways. Ace falls in love with a hustler played by Sharon Stone named Ginger. And Nikki falls into an ever-deepening spiral of cocaine and violence as the movie goes. And again, uh, speaking of these Scorsese epic crime movies, they don't end up happy a lot of the time. Scorsese, who I've called now officially the, the greatest director of all time. He likes to work. He's a Catholic and he likes to include religious themes in all of his movies. And this movie through and through is about greed, start to finish. I think it's it's very good. It is not perfect. Uh, I know two of its major criticisms are that uh, we saw the same movie five years before. It was called Goodfellas. And so people were less excited to see this and thought he was kind of caught plagiarizing himself as it were. Another criticism, and so we are going to spoiler territory if you've never seen Casino. The very first scene is spectacular. Like in Goodfellas, there's a scene that happens partway through the film, and we see Robert De Niro step going into his car, and as soon as he turns on the car, a giant explosion happens, and it's like, oh my goodness, this movie is going to be amazing. Robert De Niro was just exploded in a car. And uh, again, into spoiler territory here, we find out later in the film that that didn't happen. So I know when I reviewed it with Larry, he's, he's always been upset at this movie for he said it's the only time that Martin Scorsese ever lied to him. The fact that there was no way that Ace Rothstein would have survived that car explosion. And when they give the explanation of it and everything, uh, it just seems a little bit too convenient. I think I had that in my mind watching it this time a little bit. It still doesn't completely bother me, but I, I, I do like the whole vision. I love Pesci. The only person to get an Oscar nomination out of this, even though it was a good looking film, I, I was Sharon Stone. I think other than Basic Instinct, these are like her two most prominent 
prominent roles. And the more I watch it, the more subtlety I pick up in her performance. It's it's a very, very good performance, in my opinion. But I like everybody. I like De Niro. De Niro centers the film really well. Uh, he does that a lot in Scorsese films. And it was a long time that's between Casino and The Irishman. Those were the years in between that De Niro and Scorsese didn't do a movie together. So, But uh, from talking to you beforehand, it sounds like you have some issues with Casino, so I'm happy to hear them. Yeah. Uh, well, once again, the timing. That was the one thing I thought, too, is that, uh, yeah, did we just see this movie a little while ago? It was much too close to Goodfellas. Yeah. And I thought with the strength of it, like, that, like you could have done a fantastic movie. Basically, is my my biggest thing behind it. Like, you even had James Woods in there. Come on, Woods is like dynamite actor. And with this James- you had, you could have came up with something fantastic. Oh, there's a wonderful cast. It didn't cast. come off as fantastic. It didn't like, come Wood- off as fantastic. I loved Woods in the movie. Yeah. I thought Woods was yeah. fantastic as Lester. Yeah, he plays Lester, uh, who's... Uh, Sharon Stone's pimp since she was a teenager. Yeah, Yeah, and and this is like where I I mentioned um, the tragic flaws for for De Niro and for Pesci, but her tragic flaw is her devotion to to this pimp. And so she'll she comes up with every con. She earns all kinds of money, but she always gives the money back to her pimp, who is a a sleaze bag, just a a sleaze bag who uses her. But she cannot give him up. And so when she marries Robert De Niro, he's always in the background and really. Is probably the guy she should have stuck with in many ways because she never it's clear from the beginning she never really loves De Niro and their toxic relationship gets worse and worse and worse and more and more insane and as you know as it goes along too then uh, the more possessive De Niro becomes over Stone the more she turns to booze and to drugs and ultimately to, to Joe Pesci as well as to James Woods that, that very much leads to her, her undoing so much like you know when we first see it it's beautiful and everything about Vegas looks exciting and everything about these characters they look like they're, they have their lives together particularly Stone who is running her own game and is totally confident and knows how to work everything in that town but then when we see her at the end it is not the same person yes well get the Stone that's the one that I'm too thrilled with like uh, I think she did a good job however when you compare her portrayal to Benny's portrayal in Bugsy. Ooh, I don't think there's much comparison there. But they're different roles. I think that Benning just wipes the floor with it, I think. That's my opinion of it, too. Mm-hmm. Like I say, she did a, a good job, but I don't think she was standout. I don't think she deserved, like, the Golden Globe, nor the uh, Best Picture, or the Best Actress one. No. She was nominated. And the other one is um, Pesci, I think. Uh, I don't know. I always think he's miscast. Really? All right. Uh, I thought he was miscast in Goodfellas, and I thought he was miscast oh. in this movie also. Oh, yeah. This is our biggest disappointment. Like, um, <laughs> I, I thought Pesci, hard to be, hard to sell as a mob enforcer. But I like him so much that that whole suspension of reality thing because there's no way in the world a guy like that's going to be uh going to be a mob enforcer like really you got to be scary enough to be a mob enforcer and pesci's not scary like macaulay calkin like seriously macaulay calkin just kick his ass and home alone so he's just he just doesn't you know he's not the kind of guy who would i think he's just a hard sell as a mob enforcer you know a little guy like that like really in this uh... scenario it doesn't matter how big you are as he is the made man in the movie okay no that's that's the part that i have a hard sell with you know like really and i just wanted to say like i i think on my end some stuff was kind of cutting out while you were talking so i just want to make sure we we 
we heard your point there. So you're saying that Pesci, you don't believe him as a mob enforcer because uh, yeah. he, he he's good at like the comedic parts where he's kind of making the jokes and talking to the, and he's entertaining. He's a likable guy, but you don't believe him as being a tough guy. No, but uh, I like him so much that I'm willing to let it slide. Like, like I want him to. I, I, I mean, I don't know if that's, it's how Scorsese shoots him. And, and I, I don't know if you've seen the Irishman where he's quite different, quite a different type of character. And I think quite powerful in his own right. But in, in Goodfellas and in Casino, this is the Pesci who will, you know, if you look at him the wrong way, he's going to stab you to death. Right. And so I believe that there are uh, psychopathic people that have worked, you know, in the past worked for the mafia uh, and for the bosses that would just do stuff like that. And they could be charming and, uh, and joking and then kind of turn on a dime. And somehow Pesci has kind of that energy and the fun as he's telling these crazy stories. But then the way that Scorsese shoots him and the great cinematographer Robert Richardson was the director of photography for Casino has these shots of Pesci's facial expressions. And when he's turned from comedic to angry and homicidal, like I, I believe it because of his body language and what I'm seeing in his face. And I think he surprises guys too. You know, you notice that he always has, you know, his bro brother's bigger than he is. Frank Vincent uh, is, uh, is bigger than he is. He always has these goons with him that when he goes and beats him up. But when he's you know most volatile is when he goes and he surprises people when people don't expect to be threatened or attacked, and he and he attacks them. This movie really does bring the violence, though. I mean, there's this is a a hard R film. There's a torture scene where a guy's head is put in a vice after he's been beat up for several days, and you know, and Pesci tightens that vice. And and the guy's eyeball pops out. I mean, it's it's brutal stuff. It's really not for everyone. No, it's very violent. And yeah. um, apparently they toned it down to get an R rating. Could be. Yeah, uh, I, I could see that. that NC-17. I never heard of NC-17 before. I have no yeah. idea what kind of rating that is. NC-17 was pretty much death to your movie. Because uh, if, if you got an NC-17 rating, and their reasons to give it were pretty uh, problematic, it doesn't exist anymore. But the rule was, if your movie got NC-17, it could not play in mainstream theaters anywhere. So no studio film, because they would lose millions and millions of dollars, would allow an NC-17 movie, even if the material dictated uh, more aggressive uh, violence or usually it was sexuality that would lead to the NC-17. It was a very problematic rating system. You mentioned The Bad Lieutenant before. The Bad Lieutenant was released with an NC-17 rating, but it was one of the rare movies. I, I reviewed, we're going to talk about David Cronenberg later. His movie Crash also had an NC-17. 17 rating um, those were you know festival circuit independent films but a movie like casino a scorsese movie couldn't afford that so then they had f to find ways to cut back on the sex and violence more often than not mm -hmm. it was the sex they had to cut back on um, because the sex was more dangerous to them you could have as much violence because you could watch a, a diehard movie or you know an action movie with stallone schwarzenegger at that time where you'd kill a million people and that would get uh, a comfortable r rating in some cases even a pg-13 rating but a movie that deals you know in a mature way about you know the mafia and the characters around this time in las vegas they, they had to cut it back yet it, it still is i think for 2020 still pretty pretty strong like the spoilers for the end but things once again don't work out well for pesci's character and that that prolonged sequence <laughs> where he's being him and his brother are being beaten uh to death with the not quite to death baseball but <laughs> baseball that's that's brutal stuff and it's a prolonged scene you know maybe that was a longer scene than the original cut mm -hmm. what do you think De Niro 
Uh, De Niro is one of my favorites. De Niro makes a movie, no matter which movie he's in. Yeah. And this was no exception. De Niro is very strong in this movie. Totally so believable. Same year that Heat came out. So I was impressed that he gave such different performances between Heat and, and Casino. He does a good job of kind of sharing the screen. You know, Stone has very flashy scenes. So does Pesci. We got we have James Woods. We have several other actors like that that have these very flashy scenes. De Niro kind of sticks to his character. And he's, you know, he, he's not really the strong man in the film. All he wants to do is run the casino, run the casino his way. He doesn't want to be interfered with. But he also has no tolerance for people who make mistakes and cost the casino mm. money. And that gets him into trouble because he fires the wrong nephew or son-in-law of uh, the wrong politician in Las Vegas. And all of a sudden, all the heat falls on him. And then by being associated with Pesci's character, the heat falls on both those guys. And it starts to lead to uh, the end times for the mafia running casinos in, in Las Vegas. You know, in, in the epilogue to the film, we kind of see more of the, like, the family theme part type of a version of Las Vegas which exists uh, now during non-COVID times so it was on my 10 best list of that particular year but but I also recognize that there are some some issues with it once again I would say more strong scenes versus weak scenes is what I would say there was uh, a lot of scenes that I really liked and um, I thought the car scene wasn't all that bad at the beginning where they blew him up I thought that was pretty cool and I totally bought the explanation sorry it was a great opening and it led into that, that beautiful classical music and that wonderful title sequence we don't really have many of those anymore these title sequences for films it was that was really uh something else it, i was shocked you know I, yeah. I, I remember being whatever i 15 years old or whatever 16 years old whatever i was when i saw the film just being totally shocked when i saw that and i was like this is going to be an amazing experience i, I love that that there's those shots of there's that one shot of the desert and las vegas and you see all of the lights and then nothing around it yeah. just some of some of those images just stuck stuck with me for years yeah i thought um, like, like um like I said, a lot of a lot of strong scenes, great cast though. But I think based on the strength of the cast, I thought you had a better movie. That's the only that's the only thing I came up with is that yeah, the with the cast like that, like I mean, you should like really should have been a best picture movie. I, and I thought I kind of thought, thought, thought with the cast like that. Yeah, I thought it would be. I think it was because it was so close to Goodfellas, as you said, that uh, there was some some pullback, mm -hmm. and like the only thing that was quite different uh, from Goodfellas was uh, Goodfellas. Well, Lorraine. Bracco was quite good in, was terrific in Goodfellas her role wasn't as big as Sharon Stone's and I think because Sharon Stone's character was quite different than it was kind of unique to Casino that's maybe why Sharon Stone got all the attention but Scorsese I mean they're you know as as director and you know maybe Pesci is supporting actor and you know that those, those sorts of things even some of the technical awards I thought it could have been nominated for it just didn't seem to happen that particular year. So also it's a dark movie and you know, sometimes those dark unpleasant movies in the nineties didn't, they might get a nomination, but they didn't really uh, go very far. You know, the forest, the forest Gump would, would win the, the Oscar for best picture, nothing against Forrest Gump, but you know, um, more than, you know, a movie mm -hmm. about people who, uh, you know, love money and it's their downfall. So anything else you want to mm -hmm. say about Casino? No, like I said, I think it had a lot a lot stronger scenes than it had weak scenes. So definitely gets a pass on my book for sure. Uh, I wouldn't be cutting this one up. Quick, quick wouldn't be cutting him up. <laughs> 
Quick uh, mm-hmm. shout out. Scorsese's done this in a lot of movies, but this casino had uh, in it several very famous uh, stand-up comedians. Most prominently, the great insult com- comedian Don Rickles plays one of the guys who's with De Niro running the casino. I think he does a good job. I mean, it's he's, he's not kind of playing his shtick in there. Also, mm-hmm. one of the other's brothers, Dick Smothers, plays this kind of corrupt senator in there. I was surprised to see one of the Smothers in it when I first saw the movie. And want to mention Alan King, who appeared in a lot of uh, movies with Scorsese and, and De Niro. And he plays Andy Stone, who's uh, kind of this bridge between the Kansas City Mafia and uh, and Las Vegas. And he was just a nice presence to have in there. But he was also a, a, a great comedian in his own right. So it's al- it always interesting to me. I like seeing comedians in serious movies. I think, yeah, I like seeing them in in serious movies as long as you sell it I think you don't do it just for the marquee value well I, I thought each of them did a good job playing their characters I didn't see anybody trying to play on their image or their celebrity in the film so, so I, I like Casino a lot but I I, I know for a fact I, I like it more than you do Face! put the gun down hear your names Mr. White Mr. Blonde Mr. Pink why am I Mr. Pink who cares what your name is yeah, that's easy for you to say. You're Mr. White. You have a cool-sounding name. Let's go to work. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something right. What happens if the manager won't give you the diamonds? Cut off one of his fingers. The little one. I feel scared in case I fall off the chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. If they hadn't done what I told them not to do, they'd still be alive. You're acting like a first year thief. I'm acting like a professional. No choice you've been doing 10 years. They can ask me to keep them up. No choice at all. Bam. Bam, 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 bam. You're under arrest, sugar. Harvey Keitel, Tim Roth, Chris Penn, Steve Buscemi, Lawrence Tierney, and Michael Madsen. They're the Reservoir Dogs. Hey, Joe, I'm going to shoot this guy. Now to a, a movie I didn't see uh, illegally in the 1990s. I, I saw it on by renting the movie in VHS uh, back in the day. Uh, 1992's Reservoir Dogs, which I I just heard about. It, it it seemed to have no advertising before it. I just saw the film appear in the paper as being in town. I didn't know anything about it. I looked at the cast. I recognized the name Harvey Keitel, and I didn't know anything about Quentin Tarantino at this time. And this became one of the most important crime movies of the 1990s, I, I would suggest. It's about six criminals who are complete strangers to each other, and they're hired by a crime boss named Joan. Joe Cabo to carry out a diamond robbery. Right at the outset, they're given false names with the intention that they won't get too close and will concentrate on the job. They're completely sure that the robbery is going to be a success, but then the police show up right at the time in the site of the robbery, which leads to panic amongst the group members, and two of them get killed in the uh, in the uh, shootout, along with some several police officers and some civilians. When the remaining people assemble at the premeditated rendezvous point, uh, this warehouse in L.A., they begin to suspect that one of them is an undercover cop. And that doesn't really do justice, that synopsis, that I just read, but 
because it it started a thing that Tarantino I think perfected in Pulp Fiction with taking the story and presenting it out of order and does a good job. I mean, we start off with a scene in a restaurant where uh, these gangsters are talking about the meaning of the lyrics to a Madonna song, which leads into a conversation about the ethics of tipping, which is incredibly funny and endears us to the characters right away. In the next scene, we see one of the characters, a bloody mess, and then we're in this warehouse trying to piece together the rest of the story through flashbacks. And it's it's beautifully done, yet you can tell that this was a first-time directing gig. And you can also tell that this was a super, super independent movie because there are some mistakes that they didn't have the budget to correct going through. But no doubt, the, you know, the, vi- the blood is there, the violence is strong. And Reservoir Dogs has a deserved place in film history, for sure. So uh, what do you think about Reservoir Dogs? Oh, I thought it was a very good movie. Like I said, I thought uh, fantastic cast, for starters. But the plot, I thought, was uh, very well done. I like the flashback idea. Yeah. And I like the idea of the way they uh, showed you the heist itself how it was planned. I thought yeah. that was uh, very cool because when they um, like the the names and you, they were instructed not to talk about anything about where they're from, what their names actually were and things like that. And in case one person gets caught, what do you know? I'm Mr. Blue. He <laughs> was Mr. Pink. I don't know anything about him. And I think that was, that was one of the cool things behind, behind the movie is that, you know, if someone does get caught, what are they, what are they going to say? What can you say? You don't know anybody, you know? And I think that was uh, one of the things that I really liked about it. And I think the cast itself was very strong. I was uh, impressed with Kim Roth. Kim Roth, uh, I thought, was fantastic in it. Who else did I like? Matson. Oh, I found love with Matson. I wasn't a big Michael I've never heard much yeah. of Matson before then. Yeah. After that, oh, he's one of my faves. <laughs> and it's too bad that he didn't have a more successful career. I yeah. thought he deserved a lot more. Yeah, That was just me. And I, I thought the whole cast was very good. And I think Tarantino throwing himself in the movie was something also, too, remember he does in every movie now. Most of throw them, himself yes. in the movie somewhere. That's a um, criticism in some movies, I, I don't think he was distracting uh, in an, in the in his scenes. He was actually kind of funny when he's talking about the, like a virgin, and you know, really at the very beginning of the film. I thought that he his rhythm worked well with the dialogue he created and his banter with the other actors. Whereas sometimes, you know, he'll he'll play a role, and in movies I really like, but he'll cast himself as an Australian for some reason, or he'll he'll just put himself as a, like, he doesn't look like a, a tough guy, really. Like, he looks like, again, you sort of talked about Pesci being the, the clown. Like, I, I think Pesci is scarier than Tarantino would be. But I believe him being part of this crew in this film. So I think this is probably one of his better acting in his own movie performances. Yeah, I thought it was one of the strong points when he got killed very quickly. Not that yeah. bad. Not that bad. No, I thought the whole Madonna scene when they did that whole like a virgin thing. Yeah. And um, I thought, well, what's he got against Madonna? That's what I thought. Like Warren Beatty even liked her. That's what I thought. I thought, yeah. So I thought Reservoir Dogs was, it's one of my favorite movies, but I don't like all of it. Mm-hmm. Like the scene where Keitel is driving mm-hmm. and the guy's, I think it's Roth already has been shot, right? Yeah. Mr. Orange. And is he's in the back. Eating like a, yeah. drive like a stuck pig is, is, is the line, I believe. Yeah. And he's, um, singing to him we're gonna be <laughs> yeah. all right like uh i thought that was one of the weakest scenes i ever heard i i, I, I just didn't like that scene at all i thought they could have done a lot better this is my take on it that's one of those moments yeah it, it's it distracts me sometimes too i, I don't know if i kind of do some sort of autocorrect for it when i'm watching the movie 
But then, and then I'm like, oh yeah, that's right. He does that. I think it's one of those impulses because you know Kaitel's such a method actor that he just went with an impulse and started started singing that. And Tarantino, as a rookie director, just happy that Kaitel's in his movie because Kaitel is a big part of getting this movie made. So I'm gonna let Harvey do whatever he wants, and he's not gonna do another take and say, uh, Harvey, maybe let's do another one where you don't sing to, to, to yeah. Uh, you know, let's or try a different tactic. Now, I think Tarantino, the director that he is now, would probably do that one over. Maybe also just to the nature of the shot, like they were shooting it in a car, and I believe they were actually shooting it in in L.A. as they were going. So I I don't know if he was able to ta- do another take uh, there, and it just had mm-hmm. to settle for like it's it's an odd thing. Like we we both talked about how much we like Kaitel. I like Kaitel in this role as Mr. White. Kaitel's actually responsible for several mistakes that I spot. So that's not my biggest issue. Like, um, there, there's one, there's a scene with, and we haven't mentioned yet, uh, the guy who got the most attention out of this film was Steve Buscemi playing Mr. Pink. And there's a scene with Steve Buscemi and Harvey Keitel very early in the film. And there's this one bit where Keitel keeps trying to light this cigarette. Yes. Did you know that? And it's it wasn't working, wasn't working, wasn't working. You know, and they they just try to keep the take going. And then they had to like close in. And all of a sudden, like he was kind of smoking, even though they didn't light the cigarette. So there's that. And then there's this other moment, too, where uh, the guys are supposed to go outside. And this is when the police officer has has been kidnapped, is in the trunk of uh, Mr. Blonde's car. <laughs> and and so they're, mm-hmm. they're going outside, right? And and you'll notice that all of a sudden, Kaitel's running behind the other two, like he's several beats behind. There's a couple theories on that. The, I'm going to justify that he went to check on Mr. Orange, who's laying on the ground in pain. But uh, the theory is that actually Kaitel forgot what he was supposed to do. And then somebody was like, Harvey, you're supposed to run out. And then you see him catching up. And they, again, they didn't have the the budget or the time or the the money to do another take. And then there's a little bit of an issue with shutting the door too in the, in the storage area. But Again, these are all really, really picky things, but there's something a little bit more true and a little bit more honest about it because it is such an indie film. It, it's it's brutality, its language is strong throughout. It really announced Tarantino as a, a major up-and-comer, and then two years later, he makes one of the most important movies of all time, Pulp Fiction. So my favorite performance is Michael Madsen's. A lot of people <laughs> will choose and Steve Buscemi and Buscemi is very good there's nothing wrong with what he does but how I mean we talked a little bit about this with some of the people who appear quite charming and then turn incredibly violent on a dime and we hear all these stories about Mr. Blonde is a psychopath and unprofessional and he ruins the job and all this stuff and we we hear all this stuff and then when we see him he's calmly sipping a, a coke and talking calmly to these guys well Kaitel and Buscemi are both losing it particularly Kaitel and we're like what are they talking about like this guy is probably the calmest one of the reservoir dogs or but then <laughs> they leave and he uh it leads to the most famous to me the most famous scene in the movie is where he tortures a police officer and in that scene we're like oh now I understand what these guys were talking about and Michael Madsen was just so good at playing like the cool guy and then the sociopath who just enjoys torturing and cutting off the ear of this police officer it's uh for the time now i I don't think it's as shocking as it was when it first came out but that was an incredibly shocking scene yeah i like the motivation behind it was uh 
<laughs> Matheson had some of the best lines in there. His motivation was, it doesn't matter. I've heard it all. I'm going to torture you anyways. I, I thought I'm that was one of the best I'm lines I've heard. Rad is. I'm just, I'm going to do it. So uh, don't, don't worry about it. Uh, I've heard it all before. So it doesn't really matter. I'm just going to torture you anyways. I thought that was good. My, uh, I had a question for you for sure. Is what yeah. did you think of the whole commode story? That was the whole big thing behind it, the commode story. What did you think of that? We spend a lot of time on it, don't we? And Tarantino mm-hmm. does this where he doesn't he really doesn't tell a story in a straight line. Like we have to build up to like they, they have the big reveal and so spoilers for the movie if you haven't seen this movie from nineteen ninety two, which is very famous, is that the undercover cop is Mr. Orange, Tim Roth. Right. And we get into that. That gets revealed uh, at a key moment shortly after the torture scene, actually. And then we're like, okay, so, you know, how was it this guy? And then we go back and we sort of see his backstory. Tarantino spends a lot of time there on that. And I like, like, I, I like. The idea behind it is that as an undercover officer, he has to be able to compete with the stories these other guys are telling to try to hint that he has a, uh, a criminal past. And I think it's right that it would be an exaggerated story because all these guys, as they tell these stories over and over again, it would get more and more exaggerated. But as far as like the story itself, I mean, it, it's fine. I think Tarantino perfected this a little bit better in later films. These kind of sidebars into the history of something before coming back to the main action of, of the story in the warehouse. Anyway, what do you think? Do you like it or not? I like the commode story. Yeah. And I think it fit the character perfectly. It did. And yeah. he had to come up with something that's going to be believable, yet it had to be over the top from retelling. And it had to be something that everyone could relate to. And I think it had enough feeling behind it that they would recognize that feeling, you know, where you're really scared that you're going to be caught. This is the time that you're going to go down. Whereas that's what this whole most stories, you know, as a big, as a big for gangsters, it would be a, a very emotional kind of, you'd get that feeling. You'd have that same feeling. We feel that same way at some point in your career as a gang. You're going to get that where you you're feel like you're going to get caught. And I think they could all relate to it. And I think he needed something like that to sell his uh, cover. And I think he does a good job of selling it. But, I mean, it took a lot of work. And we see the work that it takes to be an undercover officer to, you know, make that your own and to make it believable. One, one side thought is the guy who helps him with the story, kind of trains him as an undercover officer. I feel like if Tarantino had had at that point a relationship with Samuel L. Jackson. That's the role Samuel L. Jackson would have had. Because Jackson appears in a lot of Tarantino. Like yeah, I would have liked to have seen. Uh, I think he would have brought a bit more to it than what happened there. Yeah, and I don't know if that would have fit, you know, because uh, I don't think he would have had, I think, uh, I don't know, you start bringing, bringing Jackson in, all of a sudden, you know, that's another marquee name that, you know, has to, has to make their mark. Whereas this guy makes his mark by not being, not being the forefront. That's just my thinking behind it. Jackson wasn't he? He was appearing in like it was a year after Jungle Fever, I guess, which he got a lot of attention for. But he still wasn't Samuel L. Jackson at that point. He was still looking for work. But I I think the thing was, it was just they didn't know each other until Pulp Fiction. But I I just think like the types of roles that Tarantino writes for Jackson that might have been the one that he would have if he was, you know, making Reservoir Dogs now. Um, I, I wanted to go back to the torture scene for a moment because the other piece to that's extraordinary about Reservoir Dogs is this soundtrack is amazing. Like the music, the 70s music in there and, you know, stuck in the middle with you. I mean, you know, that song became big again because of this movie. 
And I like, you know, to have that song going while this horrible torture scene is going on. And Michael Madsen, again, doing that little dance he does. And he takes out his knife and all that. And I, I thought all, all that was so beautifully done. The only other scene I can think of, which has like kind of the, the beauty of a, like this music going while something horrible is going on is A Clockwork Orange with the singing in the rain during one of the most brutal scenes in A Clockwork Orange. <laughs> that was kind of the comparison I have to it there. But Madsen and the music that Tarantino chose, uh, Stephen Wright, who uh, we just have his voice as this uh, DJ playing uh, classic 70s music, and he, he's just really, really funny with those transitions. All of that works really, really well. And I like the story. I think you could probably do a shot-by-shot analysis of the climax of the film. And there, are, there's a flaw. There, I think there, Ken's portrayal is, that's the one that I'm not crazy about. Yeah. I thought he was weak in it. I, I like it. Sorry, it's just... But, yeah, yeah. The, the late Chris Penn, the uh, brother of Sean Penn, is in there. And he's the son of the, of the, of the boss. And, yeah, yeah I... I don't know, he, he's okay, but I've, I've seen him better in some other things for sure. But again, like if you look at like when, when everything goes wrong at the end of the film, I still am at a loss to figure out who shot one of the characters. There's, there's one character where there's no, you know, nobody has a gun on that person and somehow that person gets mm-hmm. shot too. And I, I just yeah. think it, you know what I'm talking about there. So again, if I'm grasping at straws, cause I really like this movie much like I, I said, I love, love them all, but this one is, is an independent film classic for sure. But you could tell there it, it's not without its problems. Yeah. The Chris Penn portrayal. Uh, I didn't like him in that scene at all. The last where, scene? Just cause there's a, where he's talking to him about where they, they tell him that there's a, there's a mole and mm-hmm. he goes into that whole spiel about just cause he says so and all that. Oh, that was just, I thought that was brutal. Didn't, didn't, didn't fly for me at all. That was the only part of the movie that I really didn't like. And just that one scene too, because I thought the scene where he was in the, his dad's office with Matson, I thought that was excellent. I thought he was very good there. Yeah, but that in, scene with yeah, the three of them were great in that one. Kind of the flashback where we get the story on Mr. Blonde and who Mr. Blonde actually is from from that piece. And that whole backstory was good. And you get the the two guys are brothers, really. Uh, You know, not literally brothers, but, you know, they're, you know, they fight like siblings and uh, they joke with each other in that way. And I think that's, that that felt authentic. But yeah, like Penn has dealing with some of Tarantino's, Tarantino has very verbose dialogue and sometimes his his lines aren't the easiest ones to say there's that line if you beat the guy long enough he'll tell you that he started the chicago fire but that that don't make it so or something like that that's maybe the line you're yeah thinking of. exactly yeah yeah, yeah and, exactly and uh, somebody somebody like uh again not necessarily for this role but somebody like samuel l jackson or christoph waltz who's very good in tarantino films can can pull that off really well but pen for whatever reason i think that was maybe a, a bit of a mouthful for him he did the best he could but yeah it's uh, there's a couple lines in there like that. There's also that one scene where he gets so mad and he, his face turns purple, like red and then purple. His eyes come bulging out, like you know. There's a huge acting intensity there, and uh, it's uh, it's it's actually quite interesting to see. But um, but yeah, I guess it's a little bit of a weak link. Um, Lawrence Tierney, uh, who plays the big boss there, yeah. the guy. The guy's crazy. Like they, they, they all had been arrested. They all had done time in jail. Like everybody in the cast, but he, th- this guy was 
psychopathic. He did a guest spot on on uh, Seinfeld around the same time. And Larry David always threatened that he would bring Lawrence Tierney back because the guy was just so strange. He played Elaine's father on the show. And he was, um, yeah, he'd have like guns out and knives out. And he'd be, you know, he, he couldn't criticize him or or look at him the wrong way or else he, he could attack you and he would attack people on set. So I, I heard stories with dogs and also with, with Seinfeld that he was like that perfect face for a film like this but i think it was quite a difficult kind of one and only time that tarantino worked with them but i'm sure again first time director Kaitel's name kind of brought a lot of these people to this film but he uh he he, he was much more dangerous than uh any of the characters that appeared in the film oddly enough so yeah i thought ross description so, of him was, was uh, bang on in that movie <laughs> the thing, thing. <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah this, I think this movie combined all kinds of things in this. You know, it had a great storyline. It was told, uh, you know, in a different way. Uh, it had enough humor in it. You know, I, I that's what I thought. I thought it had enough humor in it that was just. I, at first, I thought, are we doing a spoof here or something? But then, as it got into it, I thought, oh, this isn't a spoof. This is good. And yeah. it was, it's turned out to be one of my favorite movies. Like it, when it goes dark, it goes very dark. And I mean, the Tarantino's been good at mixing that that black humor with really really horrifying serious serious moments and uh i think he you know for a first film doesn't normally look this good to be honest i'm being hard on it a bit but um because it's a classic but at the same time like most people's first films are not uh, as good as reservoir dogs this movie think- almost uh this movie almost made up for me except mm-hmm. for that chris penn scene and it's only the scene it's not the whole portrayal i thought yeah. in the car when he's talking about the black hooker or the guy who cheated on this girl this black girl cheated on the black girl yeah, I don't think she was a and hooker. She, I think she was no, just, no, she uh, was just uh, the girlfriend yeah. or whatever. Yeah, the yeah. girlfriend. She got cheated yeah. on. I thought that was, you know, he was good at there. You know, I thought everything was going good. The mm-hmm. fact that he didn't know uh, it was that she shot, uh, <laughs> night the lights went out in Georgia. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the fact that he didn't know it was her that did it. <laughs> I thought that was good. No, I, I just, you know. We're giving more time about good. Yeah, 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 I like all that. Yeah, those moments are good. Uh, like I said, it's just that one scene where I didn't like Chris Penn. That was the only scene I probably didn't like it like i said it almost got a perfect score for me and obviously the ending the ending mm-hmm. i was not a big fan of the ending at all i thought yeah. it was too contrived you know, I, like, I, oh we got to end this so let's end it i i think so yeah especially there's a couple things which are fairly uh i mean there's always a question about again sort of getting to the end of it spoilers again but why Tim Roth what does what he does in the last moments of the film when he's talking to Harvey Keitel. I know Tarantino said it's like he almost treated it in a like a Catholic confession type of a thing. But, you know, it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I, I do think that Tarantino with his ending is very inspired by the tr- treasure of the Sierra Madre. I think he, he was thinking along those lines a little bit. But to get there, I, I think it, would, it was tough there. So, yeah, fair point. I mean, it's a powerful ending. Again, if the first audiences saw this, I'm sure their jaws dropped at the uh, Sundance Film Festival because it was unlike anything anybody had seen before. Yeah, that's like I said, 
almost a perfect movie for me. There's just those two little sticklers, which I thought it was a rush to end. I think they were just, they needed an ending, so let's end it this way. That and that Chris Penn portrayal in that, that one little scene. Other than that, I thought this was the perfect movie. Perfect. Yeah, I think you like it a bit more than I do, but I still really like it. So I think you know, two big thumbs up when talking about Reservoir Dogs. One of the 10 best films of the year, a high-octane mixture of outlandishly stylized camp and outrageously sensational shootouts. Outrageously exhilarating, guaranteed to tingle the most jaded moviegoer's palate. Film concocted with nitroglycerin, the combined energy of the Road Warrior, Robocop, and the Terminator. The killer is great cinema. Thriller comedy that will leave you breathless. Yeah, our next movie is the oldest of uh, the movies that we're talking about. So going back to 1989 with The Killer, a movie that I know for a fact uh, Quentin Tarantino is an enormous fan of. It has made some allusions to uh, The Killer in some of his movies and most explicitly in Jackie Brown. So it's about a Hong Kong hitman who uh, accidentally blinds an innocent woman during a hit. He's determined to get her surgery to help her regain her sight, but he needs to complete one more hit first before he can do that. He completes the job, but then is ambushed as he tries to escape. Someone wants him dead. Meanwhile, a resourceful, unorthodox police detective is hot on the killer's trail. And uh, I guess the two names that are most famous from this are Cho Young Fat, who plays the killer, and the director John Woo, who for a brief period of time came over to the U.S. and made three English language films. One of them was somewhat forgotten about movie with uh, John Travolta and Christian Slater called Broken Arrow. His most famous one, uh, the movie Face Off with John Travolta and Nicolas Cage. And then he did the second Mission Impossible movie in the, the Tom Cruise Mission Im- Impossible films. I think he's great visually uh, and he has a, a good way of sort of conveying horror and beauty in the the same in the same realm but he is much better suited to the hong kong films than than he is to american cinema i think in many ways so that's that's my general take on the killer very entertaining very different than the other six movies we're talking about but what, what did you think of the killer um well john who has this reputation of being the action hero i don't know god or something like that yeah. Right. Mr. And I thought that was director. He was his uh, actor scenes were supposed to be the things. That's what he was known for when he first came over. From what I remember. And I thought that was one of the weaker points in the movie. Like mm-hmm. there's um, a scene in there where the hitman is in his house and people come to the door and he swings the chair back and blasts this guy. <laughs> And I thought, oh, that was cool. But in the midst of all this, you had all this other shootings going on that it went so quickly. You know, you, you basically almost missed it. You know, where you slowed that down a bit. Like, I, that was a cool, cool scene the way you did it. Yet, you know, on top of everything else, you know, you 
killing 50 people <laughs> yes and what i don't know you don't get hit but not only yeah but here it is the bystanders like what happened to innocent bystanders getting hit they always get hit yeah you know yeah. even even the girl doesn't get hit you know that's what i thought so i thought that was one of the, the downsides of it and the sound effects like uh, it sounded more like a bruce lee movie but the sound effects whenever someone gets hit you know what i mean they had the fake whatever that was where the fake smack or whatever. that mm-hmm. was uh unbelievable yeah i actually like some of the symbols in a movie it or not yeah possible at the beginning that was I, I really like that you know like that that was pretty good because even they asked the guy they asked you know why do you like it here oh do you believe this and he says oh it's just so nice and quiet here you know, which i think it turns out to be actually a slam to christianity later in the movie and everything i like is the uh towards the end where everyone dressed in white i know is getting killed it's almost like they're at a white wedding right white yeah. weddings in japan are always you know it's funerals right so yeah. that was the one thing that i saw too you know that i thought was kind of cool right like uh when i saw them there and i thought oh the cops dressed in black the guy's dressed in white he's gone <laughs> he was on man's kid dead you know when i saw him in white he's dead yeah. you know this is all the, all the other assassins who come to kill him all the ones in white they're getting they're going first <laughs> <laughs> that's what i thought anyway yeah. so i thought some of the symbols were they were pretty good the doves uh he did this again in face off but in the climax he uses doves a lot yeah you know that whole peaceful thing at the end yeah either in peace now they're dead like really mm-hmm. yeah so some of the symbols you know were were kind of cool i like that yeah. like i said i kind of gave it away though when i saw like i'd never seen it before right i heard all yeah. about it and i've never seen it i know who john Wu was right obviously before i even looked at the movie i knew who he was because he had a reputation before i even even saw it and when I saw the, the hero there, the hitman dressed in white off the bat, oh, he's, he's dead. I know who's going to live right away. You know, he's going to die. The cop's going to live, obviously. Saw it right off the bat. You know, that was kind of a giveaway. I, but I don't know. I, I don't think, I think I think this movie probably, like I said, in Japan, or in Asia, I think this movie would have been over fantastic. But as a, as a Western kind of movie, I don't really think it, I don't know. It's just, it has that almost B great feel to it. Like a B movie great feel is what I, is what I came that whole idea i don't know that's was, that's what i thought about it it's kind of a niche film i i think it was really popular among cinema nerds and uh just like the setups and and some of the action scenes and the style which was you know very it's very melodramatic it's not realistic but yet it seems more intriguing than a hollywood action movie in the 80s in many ways it just had a little bit more choreography and style to it but i think it was very influenced by like yeah the bruce lee type of uh film and then i think it did have an influence on people like tarantino and and fans like that i remember it being kind of like one of those regular films the killer and uh, hard-boiled but also some of the jackie chan films would be a regular kind of midnight movie at the Place Real Theater on campus back in the day. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I think okay. it would attract fans like that who are just uh, showing up at midnight and maybe they've had a bit to drink or whatever. And they're just like watching this cool action stuff happen. And there's a bit of a story and, you know, the story is fairly melodramatic. It's, you know, it's not, I've seen less, you know, it's not that it's uh, thin. I don't think it's, I, I've seen much thinner plots here, but I like the whole idea. It's, it's the, the redemption, the killer's trying to, you know, wash away his sins by trying to get this surgery for this blind girl because it's his fault that she's blind. And it was her, what was her singing or whatever, mesmerized him and he kind of fell in love with her. And so there's this bit of this love story going on, but I also like the dynamic with the police officer. I mean, it's not the most original idea, but I do think that, 
the reason it's not the most original idea is that Hollywood stole it, where, you know, we got the, the cop who will do anything to catch the killer and the killer has his ethics, but then the two of them actually, you know, face each other and realize they have more in common and then they team up. You know, I mean, we, we've, we've seen some of that before. Do you like the slow-mo stuff? Like, uh, John Woo loves his, his slow-mo sh- slow motion shots. Uh, yeah, some of it. But uh, going back to that killer, I think he's a little bit naive. Because I think he had a line in there where he says, oh, he only killed the bad people. I thought I could only kill the bad people. <laughs> I think he's a little naive if you're a killer. Like, you know, you're a hitman. Oh, no, no. I'm just only going to kill the bad people. Like, wow, that's... That's that's what I thought. Okay, there's another weak action to it. I thought was that I thought he was a little naive. Is that he's been hired by uh, the mafia to kill another gang member? You know, and 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 he's he's so good at his job that he would never kill any innocent bystanders. But when this happens, uh, you know, it, it it does seem strange that he finally realizes after you know this happens to this this woman that this is the you know this is not you know this is the consequence of what he does after he's supposedly been doing this for a long time i i would agree with you on that front but i i think he had actually told himself that everybody he'd killed before this or injured before this deserved it but then you describe those scenes where there's like all of these people dying left right center and there are innocent bystanders in these over-the-top action sequences which are fun to watch i mean there's some energy to them i did you, and the other one I, thing I want to highlight is uh, what did you think of that uh, chase sequence? Oh, the cars! I thought that was that was actually one of the, the highlights of the of it. I thought yeah. the chase scenes were were really cool. They a lot of it almost looked you know like in the old movies where you do the fast forward, you film it at regular and you speed it up later. That's yeah. what that looked like. A lot of that. Yeah. And I thought, oh, I like that. But anyway, it's just uh, for me, it was more of a nostalgia kind of thing. What it I is. saw. Yeah. Yeah, I thought, thought that was pretty cool. Chase Ooh. on the water as well as on land into the beach and. Uh, you know, I, I thought that was a very impressive sequence. Like that, that whole thing was so well directed. And again, I mean, I think that sequence alone is worth uh, the price of admission. So, you know, I, I saw, this was a, a while ago that I, I rewatched it. It was the first movie of the six that I watched. And so it's been a, it's been a little while since I uh, had revisited it, but I remember being really thrilled with it. But I think for me, then I watched the other five and just putting it up against these other five movies it's a little bit tough for the killer to compete, yet I can appreciate it and I wouldn't steer people away from seeing this unless you would have issues with you know, fact that it's not an English language film or like some of the, the cheesier sound effects, late 80s stuff that you're talking about there that, or, or you know, if you, if you try to think about the movie too much, you're probably going to run into some, some problems. That was kind of the case with uh, John Woo's English language films. I think I, I really, I, I'm a big fan of Face Off and I like the second uh, Mission Impossible movie, but when I rewatch them and when I stop to think about some things, it starts to fall apart a little bit. See, I'm just a big fan of Face Off and only for one reason mm-hmm. Nicolas Cage yeah how does Nicolas Cage get any roles he gets all good roles in sh- in movies I've seen he he gets like God in 60 seconds what a great role and he gets it you know what I mean what was that other movie I thought where he's an arms dealer and oh, yeah. um, yes and I thought what a great role and they give it to Cage Oh my gosh! Really? Well, it, that's what I thought. If you're interested, I have a Nicolas Cage theme show that we could talk about uh, <laughs> another day there. But it might be a little bit too much Nick Cage for you there. But yeah, just, no, just I get, can't do Cage. Yeah. Oh my gosh, the killer! I think if you want to be entertained, 
I think it was very entertaining. And like, you know, but like I said, you know, you got to take it for what it's worth, right? Mm -hmm. You know, like, yeah, the sound effects were kind of crazy. Or yeah, that those car chases were, you know, people would say, oh, how phony. No, well, that's more nostalgia now. Like, that's what it reminded me of when I saw it right off the bat. I thought, you know, oh, they filmed it regularly and they just sped it up. <laughs> Seen that trick before. Entertaining, definitely. This boy who's currently being looked after. Anything you do say can be used as evidence in any later court appearances, you understand? Yeah. Tell me if you agree with this. This boy who's being looked after, he knows who you are. And you've done some bad things, sweetie. Come outside! Good nose, King. He really needs somewhere, Mum. There's things going on. What things? Things. It's the armed robbery squad, mate. They're not actually going to shoot you. Can you hear that? Pull my finger. <laughs> Guys, you just missed him. That's all right. I like you better. What do you think we should do? Two police officers were shot dead. You tell me where you were last night. You know the girl, what's her address? Maybe you should start taking your pills again. What's her address? You know, if you ever want to talk about anything or anything, I'm there, right? Everything knows its place in the scheme of things. Things survive because they're strong. You've got to do something about Jay. He's got to go. If you've survived because you've been protected by the strong. But they're not strong anymore. Oh my goodness. I need to talk to you. You've done some bad things, sweetie. I might argue our next movie is perhaps the least known of, of the lot. Perhaps it sort of depends on your background. Uh, some of you may have, some people may have heard of the killer more than this, but this this movie, little Australian crime film called Animal Kingdom from 2010, I'm an enormous fan of. Despite being uh, no saint herself, Julia Cody has uh, shielded her 17-year-old son, Joshua, from her uh, Melbourne-based criminal relatives who have not seen who's like they haven't seen in years but julia dies her son is slightly detached from life uh, he feels has no choice but to contact his maternal grandmother janine smurf cody who is the family matriarch and she seems like the most wonderful pleasant woman ever and then you watch this performance unfold and it's something to see as it turns out smurf rules the family with a borderline incestuous love of her three sons the quietly menacing andrew pope cody the hyperactive Craig Cody and the barely of age Darren Cody. Hope and his best friend Barry Boz Brown are armed robbers uh, with Darren, their up and coming apprentice. While Craig is a mid level drug dealer, and Melbourne's armed robbery squad is after, specifically, is after Pope, who's hiding out. When the standoff between the Cody's and the armed robbery squad is brought up a notch, an all out war ensues with several casualties and this young man who is caught in the middle. And uh, just far as the names I want to mention, some of them have come up in the world. These weren't big names when this movie came out. Joel Edgerton plays Barry Boz Brown. 
who looks like he's going to be the lead of the film. And then uh, we get a surprise pretty early in the first act there. And then before I get to uh, the woman who got an Oscar nomination for this role, I, I did want to mention Ben Middleson, who has made a name for himself. He's been in some films, but on television, a big fan of his work on a TV show that was on Netflix called Bloodlines. He was also on uh, HBO's The Outsider, based on a Stephen King novel recently. And he, he almost, to me, steals the film, playing such a creepy sociopathic character in this film he plays andrew pope cody but the uh woman who got the nomination is a actor named jackie weaver if you don't know the name you might know the face shortly after this a year or so after this she was the uh, played bradley cooper's mother in silver linings playbook where she was also nominated for an oscar and she plays smurf beautifully because on the outside she seems like you know the loving grandmother next door but she is an incredibly scary character and we see that in scenes with uh, Guy Pierce, who is kind of the biggest name in the film, who is the cop who's coming after her. So I'm a big fan of Animal Kingdom. I highly recommend it to people. But Carl, what's your thoughts on it? Uh, having seen the, the television show first, I've seen every episode of that because I really like the story behind it. And then seeing the movie later, certain things did stand out to me. And in the television show, Pope is really, really scary. Mm -hmm. Whereas Pope in, in the Animal Kingdom wasn't even half as scary is this guy so that was the killer part okay and the other one was uh janine well hey mm -hmm. like really i didn't see as much as that incestuous part whereas in uh the television show with ellen barkin oh mm -hmm. that comes through really strong whereas i didn't see as much of that in the animal kingdom there's one scene there where she's kissing him yeah. and she gives him a little that's a little too long yeah is what i said you know but in i the, think she um, take him back to her room too in the but it, it mm -hmm. might I haven't watched the TV show, so I can't comment on that. But it might be more overt in uh, in the TV show. Uh, it's American, right? Everybody's American in the TV show. Yes. Okay. So that's the part that I saw. And for me, the bad part was that seeing the television show first, I already had a picture of the actors, and it's very hard to to like Pope was wasn't as scary in like in the TV show. He's like just scary man. Whereas in in this show, he wasn't as scary. You know, I thought he's oh, creepy. This guy doesn't look half as scary. But bit he's creepy, creepy. But like. So there's there's that that whole bit where they're, they they spend time watching that um, and I lived in Australia so I kind of get some of the television they're watching that there's that love song that's being performed on whatever variety show and then he's looking over at mm -hmm. his I, I guess that would be what is his nephew's girlfriend you know and mm -hmm. and like that that relationship and what that turns into is very dark very uh, something else so I guess maybe if I saw the TV show I kind of know what you're talking about here just this last time watching it I was fully aware just again I, I had watched it once before and it was so much better than I was expecting it to be it's kind of topped what I, I I thought it would be and it surprised me actually uh there's a death as I mentioned there's a character who dies very early in the film and I just did not see that coming and I see a lot of movies and I I, I kind of thought I, I should have seen it coming and I, I do think the mm -hmm. climax movie too is quite powerful and violent and shocking and maybe there's moments like that in the tv show i, I don't know but ben middleson who i'm a i am a fan of of his uh, i don't know if you watch bloodline but especially in that first season like he, he he's been a little bit typecast as villains and and uh, kind of creepy criminal characters but it's, it's one of those things where I didn't note him as being the actor in this movie and being Australian. 
uh, until I went back and saw this and like, oh, he's that, that's his actual voice. He's so good at playing Americans. And I've also seen him play uh, British characters too. I believe he was in the, he was in the, the, uh, the Churchill film, uh, the Winston Churchill film uh, that Gary Oldman was in a few years ago. So uh, he's a really good actor. And, and so I, I like this ensemble cast. And so it's kind of my, my my dark horse amongst these films, but it, again, it, it's it's up against some big Hollywood classic crime films. So maybe it's not an even even playing field for uh, Animal Kingdom. And I also think the fact that it turned into an American TV show could those who've watched as getting your take on it is good because those who've seen the TV show first and then go back to watch the movie that that's it's it's kind of like if you watch the movie first and read the book, you read the book and then you watch the movie. You know, the, however you experience the story first is going to color how you view the other yes and that might be kind of uh the case here and so i've had maybe it's to my advantage i haven't watched the tv show and it'd be interesting to see now if i watch the tv show if i would if i would be going back but they do this in the movie better if i'd be doing kind of the opposite those were the uh, two little things i got out of it mm -hmm. but i think the the son's performance in it the grandson or whatever he's yeah, he's good. I thought he, his he, performance in it was very, very good. Very, a, very, very good. James Frakeville, I believe I'm pronouncing that right. Is his name? I thought he was very good in there. Oh, uh, the opening scene where his mother, where his mother is, has committed suicide, and he's watching the television show, like waiting to see what's going to happen, or how much money are they going to win, versus yeah. you know, is she alive or dead? I thought, wow, that, yeah, so, that's pretty, pretty old. Totally emotionally removed from what's happening. I mean, that's a that, that's a very strong opening to the film you're just like wow like this there there are problems here to begin with and it actually looks like reaching out to to grandma's really good idea because this boy needs a family and needs needs <laughs> some help but then you go to that family is like uh this is not not what he um, needs <laughs> well and yeah. he has a, a delayed is severely delayed there's that one scene where his uncle is is telling him that he needs to uh wa wash his hands after he uses the bathroom right yeah i saw yeah. that so, like, yeah this guy has no no sense of how to act in the world at all and it's you know wh whatever happened beforehand to him is, is not good but what happens afterwards is, is even worse so yeah and i think smurf's not scary enough either actually no i would say she's like i said she loses out on the the sensuality part of it mm -hmm. but when it comes down to how scary she is she's a lot scarier i think than in the in the television show so yeah. she misses out on that but no uh i think she's really scary in the in the story itself and i think the story could have benefited a little bit from her her backstory yeah. a little bit i think yeah. you know whereas in um in a and they do this in a television show they go back and they show it right because you've got seasons to do that whereas this was you know compact and you saw a bit of that it, it, i like it, the fact that she was just ready to ready to kill whoever she needed to to get her boys out i'll kill my grandson but yeah i mean it's that, that kid's in danger late in the film and because he you know spoilers for the film but he he betrays the family and that's that's something you don't do i like what well, yeah what you're describing i think is similar to what you said about uh about bugsy and bugsy seagull and wanting to know like his backstory i think long form television miniseries or multi-year series allow room to be able to go back and do that but as it is like th this isn't that long a movie compared to casino and bugsy but uh this is quite a compact film but yeah going back and learning more about smurf like you get to in the tv show probably would be adding a half an hour to uh, the film and uh, it really isn't in the technique that they use i mean they, they're kind of go chronological 
with the story. But just do a shout out, and I, I think, you know, um, it was written and directed by David Michaud. Uh, I, I think it's a very well-written and directed film. It moves at a good pace, but it also allows us to get to know all the characters, including sort of secondary characters, really well, so that when things happen to them late in the film, it you know, you, you're impacted, whether you hated a character or whether you liked a character, which a lot of these films actually do a, quite a good job of. It certainly brings in the violence much in the way that, maybe not as extreme, but much in the way that uh, Reservoir Dogs and, and Casino do. Yeah, I thought the violence in this movie, I thought it was got more bang for their buck when mm-hmm. they did do it, yeah. is what I said. This was, you know, I don't know, like, uh, it let you breathe. It breathed, that's what I would say. Mm-hmm. The violence was actually breathing, whereas in, in John Woo, you, you had a hard time catching your breath. Whereas this one, I think, it did make you breathe. It's... Uh, was, was stronger and I would like to see the uh, the series the television series made with these people yeah, is yeah. interesting yeah for sure I'd love to see that because uh, there was a lot of characters in there that I really like and like that whole thing about calling the younger brother Darren is he gay and everything like that mm-hmm. well in the television they go into that you know things like that and I think um, this would really benefit from that I'd like to see these people do the actual television show set in once again Melbourne I, I think that was a very good setting for this film it was very stark and I like that it had a nice quality about it like whereas in uh, in the television show it's a bit more glamorized whereas mm-hmm. here it's, it's you know it's more stark you know like instance the house they live in you know that that's more uh that's more a criminal host than what they show you in in the U.S. version. That's yeah. what I thought, and that's one thing I really liked about Dark Flavor that that. Yeah, that's I believe I about that. Everything about that. I, I'm glad you mentioned like it, the directorial choices to give moments to breathe, but those silences are so unsettling. Like you know something bad's going to happen, but you're left in this silence and you're watching what's happening, but you you feel a little bit disoriented because it's because of that and I I think that's just a sign of a well-directed crime film again it's just sort of the difference between an Australian film certainly the killer had its own style as far as being an Asian film and then most of like the three American films we're talking about we're going to move into a like a British film in a moment that's directed by a Canadian and then how that has a kind of a different uh a different feel to it as well and also just the subject matter and but yeah I I I'd like it if more people checked out the movie version of Animal King Kingdom and hopefully they'll check it out and maybe uh maybe it'll be interesting for fans of the tv show to see it like it, i don't know if it gave you kind of a different experience or a different take on that family and that story to see this version like i say i would definitely recommend seeing it because like i said it has a lot of good qualities for it and i always look at movies you know what is there a really weak scene and i had trouble finding a really weak scene whereas in the other movies i could pick them out quite easily whereas in these ones i had a hard time finding a really weak scene in these movies yeah. that's what i found out anyway yeah for well, you I just recommend it. Or the comparison to the TV show, and it's wh- whichever one you're more used to. But but yeah, it's it's kind of not not the film's fault that they did an American TV version of it, nor the TV show's fault that there was a, a previous film. So just different mediums, I think. And so uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm interested now to check out the TV show, and I think I, I will. You've kind of sold me on it when we were talked about it before too. And that show has Ellen Barkin playing Smurf, and Ellen Barkin's an actor I've always really liked. Yeah, it's a, I think it's. A- go to but i think fans who've seen the actual tv show have got to see the movie yeah. like seriously it's one of those things you got to see the movie 
because you can see a lot of a lot of the characters through. Like I said, I I actually liked it because of the stark quality of it. It wasn't Hollywoodized, mm-hmm. and I think that was very good. That's what I really liked about it. And I know it kept true to its roots, like that it was a very stark movie, and I would definitely recommend it. Now I'm a big fan of Australian okay. cinema, and I, I'm biased because I, I I did as I said I lived there for a while, and I really got into um, how they make movies, and even even their like uh, soap operas are just way better handled than American soap operas. So I'd say definitely check out Animal Kingdom. We think he might be Russian Mafia. And he was a member of Vorev Sakonia. In Russian prisons, your life story is written on your body. In tattoos. If you don't have tattoos, you don't exist. I'm afraid we've lost the mother. An identified woman died December the 20th, 2313. Baby girl born 20th of December. 2314. Anya, where did you get this? I found it in the handbag of the girl who died in my ward. You should bury her secrets with her body. I'm a midwife. I was hoping to speak to the manager. Yeah, and I'm so sorry if she had worked here. I would remember it is said. It's all right. I'll probably find out more once I get her diary translated. A diary? You want to go for a drink? It's Christmas. Everything's closed. Sometimes, if things are closed, you just open them up. This girl ended up in the hands of the Vorifa Sakonyi. Do you know what that means? How did you get in here? There are always open doors. He wants the diary. My son Kirillos mentioned many times. I think he was threatening to harm the baby. If the diary should find its way to the police. Okay, boss, you don't have to worry. Police won't find anything. She was 14, just as a child. Forget any of this ever happened. Stay away from people like me. Have you read the diary? How can you keep doing what you're doing? I decide what's right and what's wrong. You can't afford to be careless in any area. I need to know who you are. Show some respect. This is respect. The Vori were like a contagious disease. There's no cure once they've touched you. One of Canada's most famous directors is David Cronenberg, who made his name in horror movies in the 70s and, and 80s. Famous ones like uh, the, the Dead Zone and The Fly. But some of his early independent stuff, too, was very brutal. The criticism of his work is there, you know, we're talking about movies with these characters that we care about. He always feels more like a scientist. There's kind of a cold nature to his films, but yet it brings extreme violence and often extreme sexuality. And I would say Eastern Promises uh, is no different in that front, other than the fact that it's a it's a British crime film. It's not a horror movie. And this is kind of in the phase where he was starting to make some movies that started to get a little bit more mainstream and Oscar attention, and that's the case with Eastern Promises. So in London, a Russian pregnant teenager, Tatiana, arrives uh, bleeding in a hospital, 
The doctor saves her baby only, but she dies. The Russian descendant midwife finds Tatiana's diary, and this midwife is uh, played by Naomi Watts, and finds this diary written in the Russian language near belongings and decides to try to find out, find the family to give the baby to the family. And she brings the diary home and asks her uncle to translate the document. Her uncle refuses, but Anna finds the card to a restaurant owned by a Russian gentleman played by a really, really uh, terrific actor that I, I like, Armin Mueller-Stahl. He was an Oscar-nominated actor for a movie uh, called Shine many years ago. And he seems like a really kindly restaurant owner, maybe has a little bit of a temper, but she he agrees that he's going to find a way to sort of contact Tatiana's family. When Watson mentions the uh, existence of the diary, then immediately Armin Mueller-Stahl offers to translate the document for her. However, her her uncle does, does actually translate part of the diary and discovers that both the restaurant owner named Semyon and his son Kirill had raped Tatiana when she was 14 years old and forced her to work as a prostitute in a brothel of their own. And this leads into connections with the Russian mafia. And one of the henchmen for this family is played by Viggo Mortensen, who's actually the lead in the film. And he certainly takes uh, an interest in the Naomi Watts character, but he... uh he seems like a very removed and very brutal man, but there's a lot more than what's going on on the surface as the story unfolds. In a very fascinating film, which is dark and is bleak and is incredibly violent. Viggo Mortensen is, here's where I admire him. He's a very good actor. He's worked quite a bit with uh, David Cronenberg. He's a little bit of a movie star because of Lord of the Rings and, and, and films like that, but he will do anything to serve the story. And he is a scene where he is stark naked and he is in a knife fight where some, you know, somebody has been sent to kill him in, uh, in a bathhouse. And that's an inc- incredibly scary and violent sequence but it's not the only one in there. There's there's a lot of tough stuff in this film, but I, I think it's a very effective crime film. And so, um, ha- had you seen Eastern Promises before, Carl? Yes, I have. Saw it and before. Then- I liked it then, and I like it now. And Vigo in it, I thought was very good. Terrible accent. Terrible yeah. accent. You didn't That's like the only his part I didn't like about the movie. No. Russian accent. His accent no. no, it was it was actually kind of funny, really. Mm-hmm. He was like, he sounded like... Uh, like he watched the Russians when they came over during the '72 Cup, and he got it, and he got it from there when they were being interviewed. That's what it looked like to me. Like really, looked like an early interview of a Russian hockey star. Because that's how terrible the accent sounded. But yeah, his acting in it was is very very good. I, I like uh, like where he didn't have to talk. <laughs> There's a scene there where he's, it's one of my favorite scenes in this movie, where he's very early on in the movie. He has to uh, get rid of a body. <laughs> he's got the hair dryer there, and, and he uh, tells people, and tell you, you may want to leave, guys. I got to do some other stuff here. And you see him cutting off the fingers, and he's just having a smoke. Like, oh, fantastic scene, I thought. Yeah. That was that was one of, one of my favorite scenes. And, uh, but hold on here. This Armin Mullenstahl, oh, one of my favorite yeah. actors. Oh. I originally uh, saw him in a movie with, oh, uh, he played a father. The Music Box movie was called. Yes, he was in that. Yes, and where he played a he was actually a Nazi guard. And this come up pictures of him when he, he was younger. Him and his um, him and another one of his cohorts. 
And that's where I first saw him. And I fell in love with his acting right off the bat. And I knew he was going to be in this. And I thought, okay, good. Because I, I, I really like I like his way he acts. I think it's it's excellent. I was just going to say about Armin Mueller-Stahl. I, I was surprised he got lost in the awards talk for this film. Like, Mortensen got a nomination and the screenplay got a nomination. But Mueller-Stahl is, he's so charming and kindly, much like what we were saying about Jackie Weaver in Animal Kingdom. But when he turns, it is scary. It is a... A, a very frightening performance and he can play both both versions very authentically like i thought that was it, kind of an underrated performance in this film yes i thought so too i thought the good hook was the diary right off i thought that's there right there because that uh i thought the way they set that up that was done very well it's just you know like it gave you suspense right away even though you knew where the diary came from you know it gave you suspense right away as to what it actually said and uh, I thought some of the things they did in this movie was the way they were trying to blend the culture in, in that one thing. It's a baby and the guy singing to her. Mm -hmm. I thought, wow, man, that's like, I've seen this before because I've had friends who I attended parties like that. And yeah, I thought, uh, like I said, it's a good story with pretty effective acting. Mm -hmm. I, I've never seen the girl before in anything that I, that strikes me as, but I thought she did a good job also. The, the young girl, Tatiana? Yes. Yeah. No, nope, not Tatiana. Sarah Jean LeBros is her name. Yeah, and just looking at her bio, yeah, she's her only other two. Uh, looks like she was in some French language films, but her only two, other two major film credits, she's in that movie from a few years ago called Mother with Jennifer Lawrence, that Darren Aronofsky. Okay, yeah. yeah, and she was also in a, a mini series with Donald Sutherland and Mira Sorvino called Human Trafficking. But yeah, it's a pretty short, pretty short filmography. Yeah, her early scenes are very good. I thought, uh, you know, Naomi Watts was good, served the story well. I Sometimes I'm with a Naomi Watts film, I'm like, she was the best thing about it. In this case, I think she was she was fine. You know, I I, I love like that that idea of like she's she's looking after this kid and, and she has a bit of a backstory that she'd lost a relationship and they'd lost a they lost a, a baby. And that like so she she almost wants to uh, take care of this this baby and, and and gets would starts to clue into what's actually happening and the danger that this kid would be in that I, I thought all of that was quite effective and the pressure that her you know the, the interaction with her mother and her uncle but that's all in the writing like the, it's a very good screenplay uh Stephen Knight wrote it in a very early episode of uh, the shelf shutting movie show Dan Boudet who uh, I know is a, a buddy of yours we're all we're all teachers here and we reviewed a movie called uh, Dirty Pretty Things which is also set in London and about illegal immigrants and a little bit of a crime film in there too and he also uh he had an Oscar nomination for that, and he, he wrote this movie as well and had an Oscar nomination for Eastern Promises. And it makes sense that he uh, that, that he wrote both, both of those movies because they're both really about the, the London underground. Yeah, I thought it was a good take on, uh, as far as a crime movie, I thought it was a good take having a setting in London like that. And I, I was actually really surprised that the that London didn't come into more play in the movie, you know, like they show you very little of it. Yeah. You know, most of it takes place in, in the back alley, basically. Back alley restaurant in the ho the hospital, pretty much, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the river, the Thames River is yeah. used quite a uh in there what did you think about uh like the the, the son arma mueller stall's son uh Carell, Carell, uh played by vincent cazell what did you think like of him i think he had some good moments but i also thought he had some bad moments too was it a you bit know, like, much um, yeah i thought he was 
kind of over tried to overact a little bit. That's what I mean when I say he had some weak signs. There were yeah. some scenes there where I thought he tried to overact, try to steal the show, and it didn't come off. This is what I thought uh, behind that. He's the one where the Russian accent bothered me. Like I, I wasn't bothered by it, and maybe it's just because I perhaps I haven't been ar- around enough people from Russia. Because when I'll you know when, when I detect a f- like a fake New York or British or Australian accent. And I'll call I'll call uh, films on that. But uh, Mortensen's didn't bother me. I, I think Mortensen, much like Cronenberg, they aren't playing realism. They're 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 quite big. And Cazell was like that, but Cazell I think was a little bit too much. And I, I'm not I, I wasn't as thrilled his 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 accent and i think he was you know the, the attempt was to have like kind of the joe pesci type of a role uh in this film and like i i often kind of forget he's in the film like i've watched this several times but and then it's like oh yeah that's right he plays he plays that guy and this time around i was like oh yeah he's he's in most of the film like i <laughs> i i just don't you know i I just haven't really dug his performance or like, you're not supposed to like the character, but I don't think the performance is amazing. It doesn't spoil the film for me, but I don't think it's an amazing performance. No, I didn't, I didn't think it was a great performance either. I didn't, I thought he was like, yeah, I didn't like him, but I didn't like him for more than just the character. I thought he just wasn't a very good portrayal. Yeah. I think, yeah, he was- I think he had a lot of weak things. Review Black Swan on my very first episode of the show, and and he plays the choreographer who is a little bit sleazy in that film, and I think he just plays a whole series of like sleazy characters. That's kind of his where he's typecast. I really have trouble getting excited about him as an actor. Like he gets tons of work. He was on the last season of uh, of Westworld as well, and I was thinking like, okay, well we're we're kind of trading in Anthony Hopkins for Vincent Cazell now at this point in that that show, so. I don't know. Maybe someday I'm going to see the see what's so great about this guy that he gets constant work. But it, I'm just not uh, not a huge fan. But I, I I think it's a very well made film. It it suits Cronenberg, but it's it's not as exaggerated as Cronenberg's horror movies. But it's not as down to earth a real crime film as say you could argue Animal Kingdom or Reservoir Dogs would be as far as the characters and where where they're sat i think there's there's melodrama attached to this film yet i i believe that all the dismemberments and getting rid of the bodies and like the the whole kind of religious ceremony as far as becoming a made man that we see in there i i I felt like all of that was was quite authentic but some scenes are just played for extreme violence and extreme gore just because that's how grown Cronenberg likes to uh, likes to direct and likes likes to approach uh, material. Yeah, the bath scene was overdone. You thought so? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, oh yeah, it's a long scene <laughs> sequence. I think it was just like the fact that they were going to go there for a fairly mainstream quasi Hollywood film, and having a, a well known actor you know do that scene, and he was willing to do it. I think that might maybe was part of it, but yeah, it is over the top. Yeah, it's it's nowhere close to the most over the top moments in some David Cronenberg movies. If if you watch his filmography, you'll, you'll see much. Much more extreme stuff than that. Now, the bad, bad part about this movie, shitty ending. Yeah, it's it's kind of abrupt. No even way to, to talk about shitty ending. Now, yeah. part of the reason okay. what makes it a shitty ending is that, and I don't know, maybe that's a good ending, Dan. But the reason I thought it was a shitty ending is that I wanted to see more than that. Oh, okay. So it's I kind of a, see more. Yeah, a backhanded compliment to the film. Yeah, I wanted to see more. 
Yeah. That's what that was the big thing. And that's why yeah. I thought it was a shitty ending. Okay. It's just yeah, no, quit out of the blue. I know what you're saying. For me, like actually, oddly enough, with uh looking at these six movies, I would say as, as brutal and cold as this movie is, this is probably uh the happiest ending of any of the six. Yes, probably. <laughs> In a way. And I again I the first time I saw it, I, I thought there were so many ways that it had been such a dark film that they were going to go for it at the end, but you know, they restrain themselves. So otherwise it would be, you know, leave people just devastated, I think. And so it's uh, again, like all these movies, I think th- thumbs up. Uh, I, I don't have a whole lot to criticize other than, you know, the one performance. And if you're not used to Cronenberg's film, then the over the top quite melodramatic moments are going to ring false and might take some people out of the movie. But it's 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 a fantastic film. It got second thief dished it back. Uh-huh. Every cent. No kidding. Yep. I'll be a son of a bitch. Mind my asking how you managed to get him to go along? Well, we reached an accommodation. He brought me the money. I gave him a job. What job? Running the day-to-day mechanics of my operation. That's my job. No, no. That was your job. You're working for him now. I think I'm missing something. Hey, you certainly are. About $14,000 in change. That's the $14,000 that you stole from us after the forty-two that Mickey took. Hey, now, wait a minute. Do you want to fuck me? What? That's a simple question, isn't it? Do you want to fuck me? <laughs> of course not. No? No. You sure? Of course I'm sure. Well, let me ask you this. You want to rape me? It is. It's crazy. Shut up and answer the question. No, I... Do not lie to me. You stole from me. You stole from me, and stealing is a form of rape. Did you think you could get away with it? Did you think you could steal from me? From Maya Lansky, Charlie Luciano, and me, and get away with it? That you could rape us and humiliate us and get away with that? What? Give me an answer to that. Did you think you could get away no. with it or not? And do not lie to me. I'm not lying. Do not I'm lie not to lying. me. I'm not lying. That means you raped us even though you thought we would get you, huh? No, what? What? It wasn't like What was it like? What was it like? Shut up. Wait, change your answer. It's a very simple question. Did you think you could get away with it or not? Did you or not? Did you or not? I won't. Did you I or won't. not? I won't. I won't ever do it again. Yeah. Oh, again. I won't ever do it again. I won't ever do it again. How do you know that I won't kill you right here in this room? Huh? I beg you, Ben. Don't. Beg you, Don't do it. What do you want? You want to kill me? You want another chance? Don't do this to me, Ben. Let me tell you something. You can't. No one can. I can't kill me. See? Now try it. Come on, give it to me. Come on, do it. Why? What is it? Are you afraid to die? Crawl. Crawl. Come on. Now bark. Like the dog that you wish that you were decent enough to be. Bark. 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 Come on, crawl and bark. Come on, more. Let me hear that bark. Now let me hear you oink yeah. like the treacherous, devious pig that you are. Come on, come on. Get around there. Come on. Oink. No. Oink, 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 oink. Come on. Oink, oink. Yes, 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 yes. Get up!
Earl Smith, thank you so much for being part of uh, the show, uh, talking about crime films. And I hope you'll be willing to come back again some sometime, and we'll look at a different theme for some movies here. But looking at the points distribution for this show, so starting off, with Bugsy, how many points did you give Bugsy? Bugsy gets nine five. And how many points did you give Casino? Casino got nine. And Reservoir Dogs? Seventeen. And 17. the killer. Six five. All right. And Animal Kingdom. Animal Kingdom? I gave it six five. And how many uh Eastern <clears throat> promises? Four five. Perfect. Okay. Great. You're the second guest to use the point fives. Uh uh, Tom Ratzlaff in uh, one of the episodes used the point five as well. So, okay, our, our points are some of them are fairly similar, but they are in different places uh, on the whole here. So, uh, I gave Bugsy seventeen points. I am a big fan of that movie. Then Casino, I'm also a big fan, but I, I gave it twelve points. I recognize that it does have a few problems. It certainly isn't as good a movie as Goodfellas. So, I uh, just want to. Make make sure I'm clear on that one. Reservoir Dogs, I actually only gave seven to. This last time watching it, I really saw kind of the flaws it, it had as an early film, but it was a hint of greater things to come uh, for Quentin Tarantino. Uh, I gave only five points to The Killer. I, it doesn't mean that I don't recommend The Killer, just it's up against these other films, and some of them, I, this was a tough, tough one to do the points for because I like all six of these films. I went in the middle with Animal Kingdom. I gave it 10 points. I think we, we both liked it, but I yeah, I gave a few more points than you did. I, I only gave nine points to Eastern Promises, and I don't know if it's kind of a, a little bit to do with the coldness of the film or, like, as you said, the ending being a little bit, you know, yours was a little bit because you wanted a bit more. Mine was, it was maybe a too happy an ending, maybe a little bit too convenient in the in the climax. But still, I think we, we both seem to like all of these movies, but our the point spread is really, really close. Maybe the closest of any show I've done to this point. The movie that had the most points is Bugsy with 26.5, followed by Reservoir Dogs with 24. Third was Eastern Promises with 21.5 points. And then fourth is Casino with 21 points. In fifth place was Animal Kingdom with 16.5. And the movie at the bottom that has to leave my movie shelf, uh, you actually have it right now, uh, my copy of John Woo's The Killer. So what would mm-hmm. you like me to do with John Woo's The Killer? I would say leave my house. <laughs> you don't own it, do you? That's what I would do. No, I don't. No? It would be, be a, a good welcome home. collection to, yeah. Yeah, yeah it would be a welcome addition to my collection. I, I'd rather have you yeah. say that than, than I have to go break it in half and, 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 and run my car, car over it or something like that. So No, yeah, these, were, these were movies that I liked. Uh, I liked every one of these movies. It wasn't a movie yeah. that I didn't like. Yeah. It's just how much, right? For sure. And yeah. I couldn't figure out which one I disliked worse, Killer or Animal Kingdom. I think that's what I had at the bottom, right? A lot of yeah, these I like both paired together. I'd say, you know, Casino and Reservoir Dogs were fairly similar in nature. Bugsy was kind of something unto itself, but was still kind of connected to that American system. Eastern Promises was its own thing, as was The Killer and Animal Kingdom. But The Killer and Animal Kingdom are just kind of well, well, well outside of the kind of mainstream Hollywood system. And so and in some ways, maybe that made it a more of an uphill climb for them. But yeah, these are all movies that we would recommend. And please, please, I uh, I wouldn't dissuade anybody from checking out any one of these films. So thanks again, yeah. Carl, for this. And maybe we could connect and, and find another theme that you'd be interested in talking about uh, for a future show. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, just just before uh, we finish off here, I, I do have to do a couple shout outs. Uh, as always, 
uh, to Larry Parsons' uh, podcast, Rank and Review, which kind of got this one going. And please check out that genre-based, uh, often horror-based uh, movie podcast. Also, uh, Kurt Fitzpatrick, who's a regular guest on the show, please check out the uh, podcast he does with a couple other guys, A Lifetime of Hallmark, where they dissect in great detail either a Lifetime or a Hallmark movie uh, every every show. So please uh, check those out. Please continue to uh, tell people about the Shelf Shedding Movie Show. Check out uh, my website, www.theshelfsheddingmovieshow.ca, because I'm in Canada. Also, uh, join, like uh, the Facebook group, and uh, try to share the episodes as much as you can. You can check out uh, the program on iTunes and Spotify and all the uh, the various places where you can uh, find podcasts. So thank you again for supporting the show. And again, during COVID, please, please be safe. And most of all, be kind to one another. And until next time, keep supporting the movies.